This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that would like to thank John Terry for everything he has done for us. And moving on, it was never going to be easy getting a result at United with Jose determined not to get done by us for the third time this season. But it got a lot harder when Thibaut and Alonso failed to make the starting eleven. None of us, however, expected Chelsea to put in their most skittish and insipid performance since the 3-0 defeat to Arsenal in September. Conte blamed himself, and whilst the failure to pick Ake and the inability to change things and respond to a classic Mourinho tactical plan was mystifying, it was the lack of fight and intelligence from the players that concerned me more. When all is said and done... We're still four points clear of Spurs with six games to go, and our run is easier on paper. But a result like this does nothing for my nerves, and the hiring of a double-decker bus and a one-way ticket to Beachy Head has not been cancelled just yet. I am Stamford Chidge, and the name of tonight's show is The Chelsea Fancast Rattled. Now, I'm I'm rattled. I'm just wondering if my wonderful guests are rattled. Sorry, by the way, everybody, for our late appearance. Uh, due to reasons beyond our control, really, but there you go. Now, on the show, as always, I have got the wonderful Jonathan, the wonderful, upbeat, positive, never-say-die Jonathan Kidd. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad, JK. Oh, God. It could be. It could be the worst possible end. To a season, couldn't? No, it could no, be. Chidge. It could be. No, I've got. I, can I join you on well, the bus I'll... on the double decker bus, Chidge, If it does, please. Well, I mean, you know, I, I was reminded by a very good friend of mine. I had a great uh, Thursday night last last week. I went to see Misty and Roots in Islington. Got absolutely battered, stupid. And my bestest mate was there, and, and and I told him about the beachy head idea, and he said, "Oh, brilliant!" He said, "You know, remember what that scene was? They're all on the bus, and they go." They, they they nearly hit the big poster of Cliff, 
and then they go, oh, that was close, and then it, the bus went over the edge. So I have a feeling that it's going to be right up to the wire. Anyway, uh, enough of me and JK winning on as we do. I am delighted to say that we have the return of the wonderful Liam Toomey from ESPN, Chelsea's correspondent of ESPN. How are you, Liam? I'm very good. Um, not especially rattled, just looking forward to dissecting the steaming turd that Chelsea laid on the Old Trafford pitch. <laughs> Well, there we go. It was a, it was an Easter turd, especially for Easter Sunday. How 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 lovely of them to have the same colour as chocolate, but not quite deliver up the chocolate egg. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Liam t- tonight because there's lots of stuff to talk on the show, and every time Liam has been on, uh, he he speaks so much sense, and that will no doubt counter everything that Jonathan yeah. and I have to say. Now, uh, last but by no means least, I'm I'm really really delighted uh, to to have this chap on the show. Um, you know, I'll give them a bit of a big up intro first, but, uh, you know, they started their podcast a few years ago and, uh, you know, very kindly got in touch with me saying, Chidge, Chidge, we did it because we loved what you do and, and, and they were really lovely and they did exactly what you need to do to your Uncle Chidge, which is to be very self-effacing and pay me money. <laughs> no, they didn't pay me any money, but they they did invite me onto their show, which was very nice of them and and and... Uh, we've we've had this lovely kind of virtual relationship ever since. I'm delighted to say they're coming over to London very soon. And of course, I'm talking about the London is Blue podcast. And in particular, uh, I won't say my favourite because that would be unfair, but he's probably got the best voice because he is Nick Vellaney. You could definitely call me your favourite. I mean, this would just be the, the perfect <laughs> opportunity for me to cement my place on that show. Well, there you go. I'll tell you what, Nick, um, I'll call you my favourite, but please don't tell anybody. Absolutely not. Yeah, no, I think it's our secret. <laughs> there we go. It's really great to have have Nick on the show. One of the boys from London is blue tonight. To they've, he's already done a show, so he he's warmed up. Uh, unlike me, I'm late and all <laughs> over the place. But hey, guys, you wouldn't have it any other way, would you? Now uh, on the show tonight, uh, we are going to ask: uh, Were Chelsea tactically undone by classic a uh, classic Jose one-off bit of party poopery? Not easy to say. Or was it simply another one of those days? Uh, In part two, uh, we're going to make the case for not changing the back three, have a detailed look at the causes for concern and the factors in mitigation before looking at possible salvation ahead. Uh, or maybe even a resurrection or two, uh, it being Easter. Uh, in part three, we say thank you to John George Terry, captain, leader, legend, as we look back at the career of arguably one of Chelsea's greatest ever players. And in part four, we've got emails from New York, India, Canada, Mexico and Cornwall. There we go. How about that, JK? Are you looking Very forward to that? So. Yes. Marvellous. around the world. All right, now... Before we, we get on with the meat and two veg of this, the usual uh, shout out for the lovely, the absolutely lovely people who reside in the Mixler chat room. There are loads of them in there already. Sorry we, we were late, folks. Uh, we've got some great... Who we've got? Praj is, best, is in there. Marvito CFC. Marv from Twitter. The one who bought the Kerry book. And a weekly listener. Uh, also, and he listens to the London is Blue. Marv, it's great to see you in here. Chuckles, Jace is in the house in his cab. So no swearing, please, because Jace will be driving his black club around London and, and, and his and his fares will have to put up with it, so we can't swear. Uh, John Chips Chiverton, Clive Lewis, lovely to see Clive. Mr. Plastic, Jack Around a Chick, B. Pacheco 12, Ramsey, Shed Upper Man. Oh, there's so many. London is Blue podcast. Who let them in? 
Goodness Get me, Nick! I thought you'd escape that. Get them out of there, right? I now. know, terrible. I I can blo- I can block people on Mixler. Actually, they could be the first. They could be the. We had some ra- rabid Arsenal fan in here once, and I had to block him. But up till up till the London is blue people being in there, that was the first. Anyway, uh, and of course Andy Silverman's there. Anyway, we're prattling on too much as always. Uh, I, I ought to tell you that, of course, if you want to uh, join in, you can listen to the show live every Monday. Live every Monday at seven o'clock, and you go to mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast where you can join in all the fun and uh, post on the live chat page people post for England in there it's fantastic uh, I, I, I struggle to keep up with it but I do try uh, of course you can always tweet us at Chelsea fancast during the show tell us what you think about the games and all that kind of stuff anyway after the break we'll be talking United versus Chelsea Right, uh, okay, first on the agenda tonight, um, well, you know, either we were absolutely tactically undone or it was one of those days, but to start with, um, Jonathan, please keep this relatively short and don't do the entire show in one breath, but (laughs) how did you feel when when you found out that Thibaut and Alonso uh, were were missing? Because I'll give you, I I, I thought the team looked spooked, to be honest, but there could be other reasons, but how did you feel about Thibaut and Alonso being out before we even started? Well... Um, I was more bemused by the fact that uh, Zuma was playing um, in, in the back three, and that Dave was playing uh, was was playing fullback. I didn't understand that if Pedro played very well in the second half against City, um, playing the uh, playing the the wing back role, I, don't, I couldn't really see why he wasn't having a go there. I suppose that he decided Mourinho that he wanted to play him further up the pitch, but um, as both Pedro and uh, Hazard were in um, it, it were, were, were man marked by United. Um, perhaps there could have been something that he could have changed. But I wonder whether he panicked a bit because he wasn't prepared at all for Alonso, obviously being ill because uh, he was ill in the warm up, mm. wasn't he? Um, but uh, I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of Bergovic, uh, Begovic, I should say, as you know. So as I've said before, and uh, I mean, you know, to be fair to him, he he, he it's difficult hardly playing, but. That's their role. That's the role of the of the, the substitute, um, the second goalkeeper. They've got to come in and be absolutely, uh, you know, top banana at their peak. And I know it's tricky, but um, I thought he was at fault for the first goal. He didn't come up uh, quickly enough, which is a problem that he's had, had in you, the past. But um, yeah, do, sorry. Do say, you know the yeah. thing that, that, oh, oh, no, no, that's all right. No, just because I just want to pick up on a on a point you were making there, and I, I, it's actually weird. That it's one of the ones I forgot to put on the script, but. Um, I mean, Liam might might know the answer to this, of course, and, and I'll bring him in in a sec. But I think that's a really good point you made about them. They didn't look prepared for it. And, and, it, and it made me think of the fact that we know fully well that one of Conte's things, particularly in training, is he absolutely has the team prepared to the nines. I mean, even to the extent where they play 11 versus nil, so they know where they're supposed to be standing at any minute during the game. And it, and, and it did occur to me that they were flummoxed by the fact that they had to make but that change. And, actually, and I, also, I, I can't believe that that's the case, but it yeah, looked like it, didn't it? I also it? think they were flummoxed by the way that um, Mourinho played. 
because he yeah, played exactly yeah. the same way that he played at Stamford Bridge. And I don't think he prepared for that. I don't think he thought that was going to happen. I think he'd play in a different, more expansive yeah. style. Um, instead of, you know, he actually defended at, at Old Trafford, which is unthinkable, really. Um, but that's the way yeah. he did it. But, you yeah, know, I, I, and I was just perplexed by the fact that he spent the whole of the game um, uh, himself looking perplexed, looking as if he had no inspiration, Conte. And, uh, you know, it's almost as if the game was up. He didn't communicate any kind of, uh, yeah. of change to, uh, that anything was going to change. And when he didn't do anything after Mate, that was that was so weird, oh. wasn't it? That was really odd. He was so becalmed. I've never seen him that quiet. It was odd, yeah. wasn't it? Well, I think he just saw the whole thing. It was just frightful. It was a frightful performance. You know, and I'd, I'd love to be mm. able to say, yeah, let's all sit back and uh, uh, um, say it was a bad day at the office. But uh, um, blimey, we can't have any of that again. Uh, you know, as will no. be, as will I mean, be discussed there's... later on with, um, with spuds coming up next week. Um, you know that's. I mean, yeah. I, you know, it could go anyway, anyways, and he might have them. He, he might have them all at the moment, galvanised for every game from now on. We can't tell, but it was just alarming that we had to experience that. I just felt there was no way, no way out of that at all. You know, I mean, we we know we're getting onto the handball later, but I mean, for God's sake, what a complete hash of a refereeing decision that was. I mean, for God's sake. Yeah, let, let, let's let's keep our powder dry on that, as you, as, as you said. I know. Well, you're you're right. I mean, it it changes oh, the game really early oh. on. On that, I mean, I think I think the point the point is, Jonathan, is that by doing that, by by, by missing that, it fell right into jo- Jose's tactical plan. And oh. actually, match of the day, we're really good on this by saying that, you know, by by you know by by United scoring first, it absolutely aided uh, Jose's <laughs> tactics. But let's bring Liam in because I want to. I just want to pick up on this point about. Conte being becalmed and why he didn't seem to be able to change, uh, you know, change anything to counter clearly uh, typical Jose tactics. We've seen him do it for us many times. He'll set up a side to win a, a one-off game, and I have to say he, he did it brilliantly, even though he was aided by that that opening goal, uh, Liam. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing to say is that there is no manager in the world better at creating a bespoke tactical plan to nullify a team than Jose Mourinho. Um, Chelsea fans would know that better than most, having seen it so many times. I don't think Conte was necessarily prepared for the fact that Mourinho would have been drilling his team all week, as the United players revealed afterwards. You know, they had a Europa League game on Thursday, but it's clear that Mourinho was focusing on this game from the start of the week as um, drilling his team on the training pitch, particularly with the, the man marking jobs on on Hazard and Pedro. Um, I thought the the root of the problems was was primarily tactical. I mean, they didn't start with great intensity, but that wasn't necessarily fatal. I think the the absence of Alonso was absolutely huge. Um, not just the fact that he was absent, but when they lost him, because they presumably trained with him all week. You know, you've mentioned what Conte does on the training pitch, moving players around, team shape. I don't think they would have practiced without him. And... Um, and the fact that he wasn't there, the fact that there wasn't a natural left footer, a live threat to overlap Hazard, made Hazard's job almost impossible. Because as well as having Herrera tracking him all over the pitch, they United could double and triple team him with impunity every time Chelsea got the ball. Um, and it, you know, it's something we've not really seen too much because Alonso's all, always been there. But he makes Hazard's job so much easier just having that threat of a guy running down the outside who is a capable crosser 
means that defences can't can't focus on Hazard as much as they they perhaps might need to. Um, he just didn't have the space to operate. Uh, I guess we can talk about Costa a bit later, but him being terrible didn't help. Um, and, and what Pedro. about Ake then? Why didn't why didn't he play? Well, that? yeah, I mean that was odd. It was odd that he wasn't even in the squad. I, in the squad? No. Yeah, I can because they must they would have known that Alonso wasn't feeling well before match day. You know, apparently it affected him on Saturday. So it was strange that Ake didn't travel or that he wasn't in the match day squad. But I can only conclude from that that Conte has concluded that Ake just isn't an option at wing back. I mean, I thought he did pretty well there. He played 45 minutes against Brentford in the in the FA Cup in January, and I thought he did pretty well. Now, obviously. Brentford is, is very different to Man United, but he, he's clearly concluded that he can't do that. And maybe he also wanted to reward Kurt Zuma for what I thought was a very good 45 minutes against uh, Manchester City when he came in. Um, yeah, I mean, the absence of Ake was a strange one, but it was Alonso's absence that was a real, real problem for Chelsea. Well, it, it it clearly it clearly screwed up all the pre-match planning, and I think there the, the, there's a, a, a fair amount of what you say is absolutely bang on with that, as as was what I was saying about the the adherence to this very structured way of training. But I mean, Nick, I mean, you know, going back to Conte, and and also actually, Jack Aranda chicks put up a really good point on on Mixler, and that is that. Um, you know, Alonso, a lot of the team may well have been suffering from this virus. And I think the other irony about this is that uh, the guys that had the virus, who may have had the virus, are also the same guys that are on this stupid, infernal NBA bloody promotional thing held at Stamford Bridge, where, of course, Tebow managed to do a Dave Besson equivalent of dropping a salad dressing jar on his foot and nobbling his ankle, <laughs> which kept him out. But... Uh, you know, do you think do you think there might be some truth to that? I mean, Liam may know the answer to that, but Nick, what's your take on that? Well, Liam, do you want to go first and and say if there's any truth to what's been reported? Well, just to just to say, I mean, the the version I've heard is that it wasn't a promotional event for the NBA; it was a promotional event for Chelsea's pre uh, season tour of China, which involved some basketball, um, during which uh, Tebow got his injury. So they, so it is true. Well, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Either way, it's a load of arse gravy, and it, it shouldn't have been, shouldn't have happened. But never mind. But I mean, Nick, you know, they they did look actually. I mean, you know, looking at it with twenty twenty hindsight, they they did look like half of them were playing with a virus. I'm still astonished by how 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 becalmed Conte was. I mean, what's what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I would hope that half of them had a virus with how poorly they played. I mean, it was it was awful. I I think it, you know, if you compare this to the Arsenal match earlier in the season. I don't know which one is worse. Um, I think when you look at Courtois, you know, I, I went on a rant already on on the London is Blue podcast about this, but I, I am absolutely beside myself with how, you know, this could have possibly happened in the middle of a title run. Uh, you know, I know that every club has promotional responsibilities and things like that, but um, l- let me tell you something. From an American sports perspective, uh, the reason that LeBron James does, you know, a million different ads a year, um, is because they basically take the whole off season for promotional activities and take care of it then. And when it's in game or in season, it's over. Like you focus on your team. I, I'm a little bit perturbed on that, and I think that, you know, maybe to counter what Liam said earlier, I think Courtois might have been a bigger loss than Alonso because. 
that first goal wasn't great from Bego's perspective. Hmm. The other thing, of course, is Nick, is that we we tend to forget this, but uh, you know we should remind ourselves that it's it the defense consists of the goalkeeper and the three centre backs in in effect. So actually, I you know losing Courtois in a sense was probably a bigger loss because they certainly looked a bit spooked by by not having him behind them, and I, I can I can kind of understand that. I'm just just going going back to what Liam was saying, Jonathan, about Herrera, and I and I thought uh, again actually, you know, I hate to say it, but match of the day, I thought did some very good work on this um, by talking about um, you know the Herrera man to man marking Hazard, and actually Hazard uh, being slightly naive perhaps, and actually. Also, Sky were quite good on this too, but you know they were saying that you know he could have moved a bit. He could have he could have mo- tried to move Herrera into places where he didn't really want to go, which would have been very wide, or also moving where the uh, the centre backs were, and, and 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 therefore kind of making Herrera get in their way. And he didn't. It was, it was almost as if he kind of gave up. And they were kind of alluding to the fact that he might have been a bit naive in that respect. Well, J.K. In the, uh, in the cup game um, before the sending off. Uh, they did much the same thing because Jones was following um, Hazard yeah. around. And Hazard and Williams swapped all over the place and he kept going wide, yeah. which was something he didn't do at all, um, Hazard. And Hazard just seemed to be as as numbed down by everything as everybody else. It was other than, uh, than mm. Kante, who was, was other than his uh, error with the goal, was actually still scurrying around like a madman, um, like, like the twins that, that he is. Um, but... Um, no, I, I was I was bemused by by what he was up to. Yes, I think they're they're trying to make out, aren't they, that um, uh, he hasn't got great huge ambition because he's not the sharpest tool in the box. That's the impression that uh, both Sky and <laughs> what, what and gave you what gave you that impression? Well, that's what Sky and Match of the Day were trying to make out. I thought <laughs> that he was always a bit of a joker and uh, and didn't quite mm. have that didn't quite have that um, the bollocks, the, mate. What, sorry, say again. The, doesn't have the no, bollocks for it. Well, no, he doesn't quite have the um, the ambition. He's uh, he's content with his with his lot as being such a you know a terrific player. But I still think I think the I think refereeing contributed to it as well, particularly early on. He was still fouled mm. a lot. The, the as we will get on to the the problem was yes, that the, the, the focus of the fouling was taken away from uh, from Hazard, but by Costa's completely appalling performance. Mm. So. Um, which, which uh, once again, although, although completely into I'm not, hand, United's hands. I'm, I'm not going to... I've done it once and I will never do it again. But as you probably remember, I wrote a very big steaming article yeah. last week in defence yeah. of Costa and the fucker, excuse my French, let me down <laughs> wholesale on... On Sunday, and it will never happen. I will never be that stupid again. And it was all—it's all Tony Glover's fault. He—he <laughs> he made me do I it. Like, no, he I, made I, me do I, it by winding me up on the show, didn't he? I like he? the fact that you were rooting for him because it meant that we could all go. <laughs> no, you're completely wrong, you idiot. But, you loved it, well, didn't you? Well, you loved it. Was it was sort of inevitable that this would be the game where it would all. It serves me right. What he should have done—we'll we'll get onto this eventually—was not to play. Well, it'd be interesting to see what he does against Spurs, whether he plays Costa at all, because yeah. I reckon he could play the uh, the three. With them, um, with Hazard, Pedro, and William, yeah. and we do just as well. I think he may have to revert to that as he did when Costa, um, uh, when it all blew up over the China thing, if you remember. Because and I wouldn't be surprised. China, China syndrome or the China, yeah, crisis. China crisis? Absolutely. But uh, yeah, you know, it was it was like the perfect storm for me Sunday watching that game. It was you thought, what can go wrong? Oh, all right, the goalkeeper's not playing. Oh, all right, 
the fullback winger has just been uh, taken ill before the game starts. Oh, he's put Zuma on. Oh, Dave's playing right wing back. Oh, I don't think he's played there all season. Oh, Costa's behaving like a complete twat. Oh, the referee's missed an obvious handball and everybody's put their hands up and stopped. Oh, and it's gone through and he scored and the goalkeeper hasn't come out very well. Yes, OK, right. Well, we're in for a really tough ride. Oh, we failed miserably to come come to the party at all. Thanks very much. Good night. That's what the game was for me. <laughs> yep, good summary, mate. Listen, Nick, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm feeling Jonathan's pain as well and I, I'm personally feeling uh, Costa's pain as well but I, I think there has to be some mitigation as well um, and, I, and again it goes back to Mourinho's tactics and, and also the luck in scoring that goal but you know they not only did they man mark Hazard but they they put Darmian on Pedro and I think they were uh, you know basically their tactics seem to be you take Pedro and Hazard out of the game that stops one source to Costa uh, and uh, you, you wind Costa up with that horrible little snide Rojo who did a great job of winding him up, and you stopped the wing-backs by putting your own wing-backs absolutely onto our wing-backs. And, and, and you know, uh, therein lies the problem, because you get no shots on target in a rather diffident, angry Costa. Would you agree with that? I would. I mean, it took Mourinho three times, but he, he got it right this time. Uh, and, you know, I think all you can do is kind of tip your hat. Um, you know, I, I, I don't subscribe to this new Chelsea fan who can't see a good tactical plan and acknowledge it because you saw that all on Twitter on, on Sunday. I mean, it was, it was obvious Herrera was going to hassle Hazard all day. I mean, that was clear. I thought Darmian played an incredible game, uh, you know, if we're being honest about it and, you know, Diego is, is impotent right now. And that made it, you know, cause uh, Rojo is not a great defender by any means. He's actually kind of shit. Um, and he just got him wound up and, you know, when Diego gets wound up like that, he, he just takes himself out of the game. And that was, that had to be Mourinho's entire plan because if Diego's in any sort of form change, uh, you know, I'd have to think that game is different because they wouldn't have been able to, uh, divert resources elsewhere. But there was one screenshot that I just want to point out really quickly where Hazard had the ball and there was six United defenders around him. Like they were all sharks yeah. coming in for the kill. I, I mean, that's absurd that you don't have a center forward who can take one or two of those fucking people away. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it was a as, you, as I think Jonathan mentioned, it, it was a a perfect storm of shithousery <laughs> in many respects. Um, Li- Liam, I'm gonna gonna kind of wrap this part up with a uh, hopefully an intelligent observation um, because other than uh, you know, stopping uh, stopping us playing. You know, which is you know taking Hazard, Pedro, therefore Costa out of the game, and our wing backs. The other thing that's caused me a little bit of concern was the fact that uh, rather than playing the the uh, the old age pensioner who is remarkably still banging goals in, which is Ibrahimovic or the walking ego, if you prefer, um, he played Lingard and uh, and Rashford, and that basically meant instead of just kind of having to do a one striker which the back three seemed to have done, and particularly David Luiz seemed to have done very competently. They had to deal with two very pacey strikers who were getting in behind us with, you know, regularity. And, and the, the, the thing that I'm worried about, I mean, we saw that with Palace, didn't we, Liam? I mean, Palace did that very, very well and, and OK, lucked out, but managed to win. Is this something you think other... Is there anything we need to worry about with that, with other teams, uh, you know, going forward in the last six games? Well, I mean... There is, there does seem to be a certain vulnerability to pace, and that's no surprise when you look at the the players that are regularly starting there. I think that might have actually 
played into Conte's thinking in starting Zuma um, because he has got the mobility to potentially cover, although he, he didn't in the end. I mean, we have to say it was a brilliant pass from Herrera. He had almost no room to thread that ball through and it was perfectly into Rashford's path. I, did, I didn't think Louise was particularly at fault there. Um, but I think it's more about how well protected the back three are. And um, and the first goal on, on, on Sunday was a bit of a strange one because both Kante and Matic were drawn ahead of the ball by really good mm. opportunities to put Chelsea on the front foot. And they would probably both argue with justification that the odds are in their favour in that situation. That you know, If that Matic pass gets past Herrera, Chelsea have got a two-on-one and could well yeah. be a goal. Um, and Kante was ahead of the play too. So I think that situation is not going to come up too much. But one thing that Conte could do, which is what I thought he should have done at half-time, he did it eight minutes too late, was bring Fabregas on and go 3-5-2. Um, because you, you yeah. get a third body in the middle and you also get a guy who, unlike Matic and and to a certain extent Kante, can can set the tempo of midfield and, and get his foot on the ball. And I think he, if he'd have come on at half-time... He, it was still possible that the dynamic of the game could have been changed. But 2 it was all over. We had that period, didn't we, when he first brought Fabregas on, when we were actually causing them problems. It was Then he, then he brought, brought Carrick on. And yeah. he, uh, he seemed to actually diffuse the situation a bit. Yeah, and, and it's very possible that if he brought Fabregas on at half-time, Mourinho would have immediately countered with Carrick. But the difference there is that Mourinho would then have been defending a 1-0 lead, not a 2-0 one. Yeah. Um, Bottom line is, I think I can now uh, go to sleep soundly tonight, rest assured that my three buddies on this show have told me that it would have all been very different had that truly madly badly referee spotted the handball and given it to us. But there we go. We'll talk about more. more, more I think we, we'll pick this up in part two. But uh, other than that, we'll uh, strongly make the case, I feel, for not changing the back three. We'll have a more detailed look at the causes for concern. But we'll also have a look at the factors that might have been in mitigation before looking at possible salvation ahead. We'll see you in a sec. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and uh, you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. And uh, it's been a bit depressing so far, but uh, thankfully, thankfully, I've got some lovely, cheerful people to make me happy and you know, not make me go down the pub after I've done the show. And, of course, they are in no particular order. They've got the lovely Jonathan <laughs> Kidd. We've got the uh, esteemed Liam Toomey. Hello. And uh, he, he's on a delay, as you probably figured out. And uh, all the way all the way from uh, Kansas City, it's Toto. No, sorry, it's, uh, it's Nick Vellani. Very easy to get those two mixed up. Obviously, obviously, absolutely. Remember, Nick, at the end of the show, all you have to do is to click those ruby slippers that you're wearing. <laughs> uh, you anyway, band, uh, I, we... got, I didn't think you meant it, uh, the, the reference to Wizard of Oz. That's clever. M- mate, he, he, he's not in Africa. Yeah, no, oh, clever. <laughs> Even cleverer, Chich. Oh, excellent. 
Uh, I know, I'm on fire tonight. Uh, This is quite amazing. My preparation for this show uh, basically meant I had a meeting from six that was supposed to last until half six that lasted until five to seven, at which point I ran up the stairs and hit, hit go. So, you know, maybe I should do that more often. Uh, you know, chaos chaos is king. Uh, anyway, uh, lots of chaos to talk about uh, in this part. Uh, first of all, I mean, we've touched on it in, in, in part one, really. But, um, yes, uh, I, I, there was a lot of uh, traffic on, on social media and, and clever blogging-type people uh, saying that, you know, rather than, uh, rather than bring Zuma into the back three uh, and therefore break up the triumvirate of Aspie, Cahill and Louise... Uh, it might have been more sensible to have brought Ake in, thereby keeping Aspie, Cahill and Louise. Now, we did talk about Ake, and I think, you know, the chaps uh, kind of feel that Conte just doesn't rate him. But uh, I'm going I'm to ask you first, Liam, why, why do you think Conte doesn't rate Ake? I mean, what was the point of bringing him back if you're not going to play him, you know, at a time when clearly we needed him? It's an interesting one. I think, I think Conte's handling of Ake is is one of the single biggest um, indicators of, of his ruthlessness. You know, we don't really see that when he talks to the media and, and in his, you know, his public addresses, he, he presents a very friendly face, but he is ruthlessly single-minded on winning. And I think Ake was brought back for the pragmatic reason that Chelsea needed immediate cover um, in a couple of positions. At that point, Alonso was carrying an injury, um, which was, you know, potentially jeopardising his involvement in future matches. Kurt Zuma was still coming back from his injury. Uh, John Terry was struggling to, to get himself fit. So they were short of bodies at the time in January. And uh, I think he saw enough of Ake at Bournemouth to think that he could be an option. He's clearly, after seeing him closer up, concluded that he's fairly low down the pecking order. Um, and as we've seen... Conte does not really rotate from week to week. He's got a very settled team, a very settled system, and, and, and he sticks with it. I think it's a shame for Ake because he would have played a lot more at Bournemouth. Um, it's a shame for his development, but it, it, it kind of just shows how single-minded Conte is in, in pursuit of this title. Hmm. I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's a good point. I mean, you know... Uh... I, I I don't get it myself. I mean, I just don't. I mean, why bring him back if you're not going to play him? But I, I, on the other hand, I, I I fully accept this, and this is something that all all supporters uh, completely and utterly ignore and 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 forget is that you know we don't see these guys play in the training Absolutely. ground every day of the week. You know, so we can we can sit here and whine and whinny on and hypothesize and theorize to our heart's content. But the reality is, we don't know. We don't know because we don't get to see. Uh, and I think that, that equally, I think you can say the reverse of that is, well, why did Zuma play? Because I, I don't know what you thought, JK, but I I, I don't think he... I, I, he doesn't fill me with confidence in a back three, I'll be honest with no, you. No, he mate. seemed out of his depth, actually, for the, uh, the whole yeah. of the game. Um, but, uh, you know, perhaps he doesn't feel part of it, but you'd have thought that they're all playing in the same way, aren't they? Um uh, yeah, I, I almost get the impression that the, the kind of slick passing thing that he does, which uh, which he tries to do, is is not in character because it was never anything that he ever did under Mourinho, who was just very keen for him to uh, to get the ball out as soon as possible. But I mean, uh, but um, uh, you know, as we said earlier, he he, he played uh, he played well against City in the first forty five minutes. Well, he not that he played well, he did a job, but I still think that he didn't he didn't fit in. The, the point that you made um, earlier about the training. 
is something that that I wish everybody would take take into consideration because clearly the reason that he won't play Batshuayi because there's been a a big discussion on um, uh, on Twitter about you know what on earth is is Conte doing not playing Batshuayi instead of Conte or almost from the very beginning is that he's not doing it in training. Um, if he was doing it in training, he'd be in like the clappers. You can be sure of that. So uh, exactly the same way as you said about Ake is that is that Ake clearly hasn't been been doing it in training. Um, and in some ways, Zuma has, but uh, but it didn't work. It didn't work on Sunday. Um, it certainly didn't, did it, um, Nick? I, I, I'm going to ask you this one because I, I, I well, you know, I just don't know the answer to it. And I mean, I, I accept that Cahill. Uh, fronted up to the media and 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 made some excuse but what on earth was he doing picking up uh Jess Lingard in the penalty area I mean again I accept that it it didn't directly I don't think it really resulted in the goal but surely he should be focused on what's going on I mean it's bullshit about worried about giving a penalty away let the referee make the decision and what do you think Nick yeah I mean this is what the fifth or sixth weird thing or or terrible mishap that Cahill's had this year and you know that that is not to say that that is his entire year but like you, when you, when the ball goes out of play you can pick him up you know I mean there there's no no statute of, of limitations on picking a guy up who's on the ground um you know I just thought it was very strange and you know if if you were of a <laughs> Uh, a certain Italian descent back in uh, uh, early 2000s, you would say that looked a little match fixy, even. Um, so, I think there's. <laughs> oh yeah, dear! I, I don't know. Oh and, like, it, it was super strange because that just doesn't that doesn't happen um, very often. You know, even I would say in League Two kind of sides. So, uh, I have no idea what his what his explanation was really saying. I mean, there wasn't really a shout for a penalty there, and. You know the the referee clearly wasn't giving any fouls in the beginning of the in the beginning of the match, and it was only until like the 80th minute that he started giving out cards and such. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of a BS excuse, to be honest. Mm. J.K. Um, I'm I'm a bit confused as to what we're talking about. Was this when he picked Lingard up? You mean? Was it that, that yeah. moment? Yeah. And what? And it and it caused it. The consequence was that the. Uh, that he was out of position for the goal. Was that to, for the second goal? No, 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 not not at all. I mean, I actually the the reality is, Jonathan, is I I don't think it actually contributed at all to the second goal. But what what I am cross about is the fact that you know he should be one hundred and fifty percent focused on what's going on, and we had not cleared the lines. Nobody picked him up. You know, they were still on the attack. Was still playing. Right, 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 right. Yeah. 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 You know, and he's and dramatic of of not concentrating i mean I've, i didn't see him much in the game cahill i didn't think he was anywhere near as combative as he normally is um but that goes mm. for louis as well so uh, you know louis kept we kept seeing him and uh, up the, the the top of the pitch you know attacking again or or i mean once again to go back i i, I feel we're being slightly unfair about the first goal i think the reason we haven't mentioned one of the reasons the first goal um everybody seemed to be all at sea was everybody had put their hands up for the handball and everybody was was really on the back foot. So when that ball was passed through, it looked as if everybody was encompassed. Yeah. I think part of it was they they couldn't yeah. they'd all relaxed because they couldn't believe the handball wasn't given. I mean, it was an unbelievably joke yeah. decision. I mean, one of the worst decisions yeah. you can expect to see in from a, a professional referee. Um, uh, I know I despair of it, but uh, I, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? He's a sweet chap, Cahill. Clearly, he never badmouths anybody. 
So perhaps he just felt, oh, well, I might as well pick him up. But uh, in the middle of well, it's ridiculous. You know, I don't know what he was doing. You know? I mean, an, it was an aberration. Well, an aberration. It was a bit, wasn't it? I mean, Liam, I mean, you, you, you were obviously privy to the press stuff going on. I mean, are you, are you buying his, his, his excuse for it? Well, I don't doubt the validity of that that was what he was thinking at the time. Um, I've never mm. seen a player do that. It is strange. To, to pick up an opponent like that while plays while an attack still live, yeah. I've not seen that. Um, and Cahill admitted mm. afterwards that it that it looks silly. I do know that um, you know the the word coming out of Chelsea after the game was that he was very much not being Mister Nice Guy. It, it was the fact that he was more. If anything, if you can accuse him of anything, I think he was more focused on his personal duel with Lingard at that point than the United attack that was building. Um, and Lingard. Well, leave him there and leave him there and tread on well, him. Then that would be more useful. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it's a strange decision, but it's what we used to do when I used to play, <laughs> Liam. You know, the game hasn't moved on that much, surely. I think, it, I think it was definitely a strange decision. It was one made in a split second, um, and he, I think he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do the same now. But I think he, he, he was. Yeah. I, I do think he was genuine after the game in saying that he, he was legitimately worried in that split second that Lingard going down would attract the referee's gaze and might result in a penalty. So he decided to do something which, like I said, I've never seen before. It was a bit strange. Yeah. Um, well, you know, play play to the whistle and let the referee make the decisions. I mean, look, talking of the post-match presses, uh, Liam, another thing that I, I, I thought was fascinating, actually, and I, I'd love to get your, your take on this, but... Um, you know, when when questioned immediately after the match, Conte basically... Uh, I mean, apart from, you know, taking the blame for it all and taking it off the players, what he did say, though, which I thought was really quite odd, was that they weren't mentally right. And that they, I mean, I'm translating loosely, but not mentally right, not being up for it, no desire, and therefore that was all of his fault. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, whilst I understand what he might have been trying to do, to do and maybe a little bit got lost in his translation, that's not what I really wanted to hear. So what do you think lay behind that? I think he was I think he was thinking less of what fans may have wanted to hear and I think he was thinking solely about what he felt his players needed to hear. I've I read I mean this is just my personal interpretation into yeah, yeah, what sure. he said but I my feeling is that it was purely motivation that he was essentially calling out his players because it's the first time really since September that there's been such a limp lifeless performance Um, and I think he was calling out his players for a lack of desire but not necessarily in the Mourinho sense um, because he did also say that he took you know full responsibility which is not something you often hear from Mourinho except sarcastically well never Um, (laughs) I think yeah that's what I read into it I thought he's just trying to motivate them and he's trying to I thought he was almost deliberately melodramatic after the game saying that the players lack desire, saying that Tottenham are the best team in the league. You know, all these things are designed to make the situation, to bring the gravity of the situation home to his players and maybe make them feel that it's even more serious than it actually is because there's still four points clear. They've got a good run of fixtures. They should still get this done. But I think he's doing this to make sure they're in in the mental place to get this done. Well, I, I, that's a really interesting point you made there. And I, I'll tell you what else I wondered, Nick. And I, I thought maybe we're finally beginning to see some mind games from uh, uh, Signore Conte. 
and I, and I and I thought again, you know, summarizing pretty much what he said, I thought these points about you know, have we been punching above our weight? We're not the finished article yet. It's amazing we are where we are. You know, or, or, or could be a, a kind of a, a subtle message to the board, in fact, about what we need to do next year to really make this team hum. But I, it also made me think, Nick, and as did the performance, it has to be said, is that have we actually been papering over, or has Conte really been papering over the cracks? And actually, it just is a testament to how good a manager he is that he's been able to do that. Uh, yes, he's a phenomenal manager. Yes, I think our squad depth is pretty limited right now when you think of crucial areas of importance. I mean, if you think about the entire season, um, David Luiz gets hurt after that atrocious tackle from Aguero. Uh, you know, we, we didn't look, you know, all together after that, but we, we papered over that. You know, if Ingolo Conte had been hurt at any point of the season... <laughs> Would we be four points clear right now? I don't think so, personally. Um, you know, I think there's just a lot of uh, areas of of need as you look forward because this team is only really playing, you know, one game a week for most of the season, and you can start to see there's some fatigue that's starting to set in. Uh, you know, Hazard's getting man marked out of games, and you know, I think that the board needs to react in a big way this summer because you know if. If we look at the last six matches, I think there's a strong chance that you know we'll we'll finish top, but maybe just finish top and, and might be limping over the finish. But uh, I think the board uh, needs to step up, and I think Antonio Conte knows exactly who he wants to bring in, having almost a full season of watching these players do their thing. Hmm. I think you make some good points there, uh, Nick. I mean, J.K., you know, maybe there is some mitigation here, and. You know, Nick's just mentioned the men- mental and physical fatigue. I mean, at the end of the day, Conte's been playing with pretty much the same, you know, 11, let alone 12 or 13 or 14 all season. And one wonders if that is due to the fact that he doesn't rate half of the squad, a bit like Mourinho did, ironically, last year. Um, do you think that there's a bit of mitigation there for what happened? Um, it, it's it's how long has it has, has since... Has it coincided? Do you think this the blip since uh, um, Costa has been performing well, like yeah. such an idiot? It means that the the pressure on scoring has been down to the rest of the team. Um, uh, I, I personally, I don't think they're knackered because because they're not in in Europe. Um, uh, but I think it's I Quite. think it's actually you know this is. We've been very fortunate. There haven't been any injuries, and I, I think has been as I think you said, Nick. I think uh, that we wouldn't have we wouldn't have won as many games, um, for example, if 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 Kante had been injured, for example, um, and we wouldn't be at the top of the league. And I think perhaps um, it may be that this team isn't as good as we've thought it was, and people are beginning to actually suss what to do with the um, with the tactics that he's been employing. But as we've said all the way through. Um, he knows who he's going to buy and he needs to buy a large number of players because we're going to be in Europe and he needs to buy very specific players and they all need to be quicker players to deal with the, the kind of tactics that he wants to employ. I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe, I mean, uh, me, me trying to be positive, that we were, we were out Mourinho'd, um, as, as Liam yeah. said, that this was just uh, this was a huge one-off. Um, but I just felt that we were, and as you said before, we, we dealt with it naively. And perhaps it was because the whole thing was out of kilter because of the Alonso and, uh, 
uh, and Thibaut set up. But um, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't, I don't think they're fatigued. I think, uh, I th- and I don't think it's because he, I think it's great that he's played the same team all the way through. You know, um, when when Brian Clough played the same team all the way through, all the, I mean, perhaps it wasn't as athletically demanding, but nonetheless, it it meant that everybody. <laughs> Well, John Robin John Robinson no, wasn't, was he? He drank a pint of beer and smoked <laughs> ten fags before he went on the pitch. My kind of footballer, J.K. Different deal. Well, that's what used to happen to me whenever I played Sunday football. I think I told you about. <laughs> we were very lucky if we got the, we got the same team on for the second half. Everybody was so knackered, having uh, yeah. had six fags yeah. at half time and a bottle of beer, probably. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I'm yeah. I'm um, I would I'd hope that he will uh, have a have a good a good idea of what to do against Spurs and then we'll take it forward into uh, Southampton and then the following games for the rest of the season because mm. we have got an easier run in than Spurs. Well, we do. we'll we get on to that in a sec. But I, do you know what, mate? I, I, I'm enjoying your positivity because I, and I think actually you, you've all made pretty much a similar point, which was, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was really interesting, actually. I thought because he 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 explained this about that we you know everybody's making a big deal of the fact that we've lost two two out of the last four games, but I think we discussed it on the show. You know, I think genuinely we battered Palace and we were unlucky. Whereas this one, you know what? Yeah, we we were done like a kipper. But you know what? We're not the first team that's been done like a kipper by Jose Mourinho. And I think the one thing that 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 gives me a little bit of hope is that I don't think there are there are no we don't have to play a Mourinho side again for the rest of the season so that ain't going to happen again. I think the trouble is though, Liam, is that I think that you know we talked a lot about uh, the Chelsea team getting rattled on Saturday and spooked, but I think actually it's really the supporters who are rattled and spooked because you know there is, when things go wrong. This, this team, we, we you know, we saw what they were like last season, and I think that 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 still lingers on that feeling of they are a bit brittle and fragile if put under the cosh. And I think the other thing is is that you know everybody knows me and a lot of the others have been saying if if it all goes Pete Tong and Spurs win, we're heading to Beachy Head and we're going to be flying off it in a bus. And I think it's this this fear that it's Spurs that might pip us to the post that's causing a, a mass outbreak of, of of panic in some respects. So maybe it has something to do with that, Liam. That maybe that's what's causing the reaction. I think that's definitely an element to all of this. Um, I mean, imagine the you know the the footballing karma that would be given the the, the delight that Chelsea fans took in ending Tottenham's title challenge last year. You know the amount yeah. of schadenfreude that would run the other way um, if Spurs managed to complete the comeback of all comebacks and, and, and Chelsea the, the choke of all chokes. I think that's certainly a, mm. that's certainly a thing. And, and the scars from last season, I would agree with that, run deeper with the fans than the players. I think Conte's done an excellent yeah. job of transforming the mentality of this team as well as the system. And there's nothing really that I've seen on the pitch, not even Sunday, that suggests that... Um, they will crumble. Um, I've not seen any any signs to be legitimately worried over the long term. But the fans are certainly a little bit anxious. And I think it, uh, the next mm. game at Stamford Bridge will be an interesting one because Conte is really big on, on the home crowd being a, being a plus. And Chelsea will need, I think, Stamford Bridge to, to be you know a cauldron of noise rather than anxiety. Because if they're anxious... From yeah, the start, well, then 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 this could become a problem. Give give us free beer for three hours before the match, and you'll have <laughs> will, it. Will you take um, but uh, 
care about uh, no i would i would no, no. I, I i can tell you where i'd like to shove it and <laughs> it, it, i think potuccino would be top of the pile uh. at the moment nick um the reality is here, old fruit. We're, we're you know, we're, we're much. It's much better to be four points clear with six to go than four points behind with six to go. And you know, you said it a minute ago, and I, and I agree with this. I think we've got a much easier run in. We've got Saints uh, and Everton could be tricky. We've got Borough, West Brom, Watford, and Sunderland. And you compare that to Spurs, and they've got Palace away, Arsenal at home, West Ham away, United at home, Leicester away, Hull away. Which basically means they got they got three London derbies. Never easy, as we know. Two two teams fighting relegation, so they've got something to play for, and two fighting possibly for top four. Um, that's not going to be easy for them. They can't surely, God help us, win every single one of those matches. It, it's been interesting to watch them this year because I think, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I, I feel like they've been uh, the toughest match that we've played both times we played them this year. And so Saturday is going to be, I would assume, an all-out, effort kind of game for this whole Chelsea squad uh, to, to possibly win the semifinal and go on to the final. So uh, what I'm really intrigued by, and I, and I said this on our show, is the Southampton match because it's three days later, I think. Isn't it the 25th? Something like that, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. we have three days where this team's usually used to, you know, four or five days of rest and, and, and training. Uh, to come back, play a, a really good Southampton team. I know that they've they've kind of fluttered up and down as of late, but it, but they just they just got done three 0 at home by City, mate. They're, they're they're on the beat. So hopefully they are. But if we go if we go and beat them, I feel a lot better about this whole thing because then there's only you know I think Everton's our our last big hurdle, uh, and and that's still a big hurdle because we we typically don't play well up up there. So uh, you know City or City uh, Spurs are going to be huge. Uh, effort. Uh, we'll see how Southampton goes, and then you know after that, you could uh, could certainly write your own script. Mm. I mean, J.K. I mean, again, in mitigation, we we uh, we uh, we beat Everton five nil up at the Bridge. It's one of the, the the greatest matches I've ever seen. I mean, we were astonishing. So, you know, I, I, and I do think that Southampton are, are going to be on the beach. They've got nothing to play for. So I, I'm convinced our, our run-in is, is going to be a lot easier than Spurs. I think ultimately, mate, what worries me most is, is uh, you know, I, I can't resist the knob gag. We have a massive semi on uh, on uh, Saturday. Uh, and, uh, and and frankly, we I, we dare not lose that match, is my view on this, because I think it'll have quite a, a psychological impact on, on us if we do lose. I don't know if that's uh, Hopefully it'll have a deep psychological impact on them if we beat them, of course. I don't know if that's course. the case. It might just make us want to uh, perform even better um, to win the league. And I also think that, um, uh, um, you know, you can take it either way. If they were to win win it, they might then take their foot off the, off the gas thinking... Uh, um, well, it's going to be easy now because we've done them psychologically. I don't think it, I don't think it's going to have a bearing either way. I think we're 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 creating a fragility for both teams that I'm not convinced exists actually with um, uh, with all the experience of winning trophies that we have in the side. I mean, we we seem to have slightly um, given in to the fact that suddenly we're becoming a rather pusillanimous lot of uh, shirkers, incapable of 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 putting a performance in after the United game. I don't think we're ever going to play as badly as that for the rest of the season. I can't understand why that would be the case because I don't think that the teams were against us will be as um, as savvy or as good um, as United were. 
under Mourinho. Though uh, it'll be interesting to see if Southampton then do attempt to um, uh, man mark both Pedro and uh, um, and Hazard in the way that uh, that United did. Whether they start employing the same tactics, I've noticed that journalists that I've read seem to believe that this is now a way of beating Chelsea. But if this is the case, he's not a mug, Conte. He's going to find that we we hope um, he's going to find a way of, of of circumventing that. Whether it means he just has another formation in line that he just sets up and changes it earlier. But I, got, I was worried, though, about his his um, uh, rabbit-in-the-headlights look for the whole of the game. As I said, I didn't quite get that. And his bringing Fabregas on mm-hmm. too late, I felt it could have happened from the from the beginning of the second half, as, as, as Liam was saying. So, um, uh, no, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think... I mean, obviously, we've got to put in a decent performance. I think if we play as ineptly as we played against United, then it's something to worry about. But I don't think we will. And, it, and they, of course, seem to perform at Wembley like complete idiots. We have to remember that. They, their, uh, their record at Wembley in the Champions League this season was woeful. So uh, let's see how Wembley affects them. Let's see how the occasion affects them. Because it might be that mm. they fall apart. You know, we, we seem to be giving them this, yeah, they might win every game. They're clearly the best team. Well, no, they've gone into a good patch of form at this part of the season. But... Uh, it could very well be that, that it all falls apart. They do have a. They, he's talking about Pochettino about uh, Pochettino about the what his name is, about them being um, uh, much stronger this year. Well, let's see. You know, I, mean, I don't think the Palace game that they've got to play is a is a um, uh, is a fait yeah. accompli. I think I that's think tough. Really that's good. tough. I said so at the time. Benteke's playing out of yeah. his skin, and he play. They're playing the Palace way. I know we had this row with Alex, but I, you know, he. If he, if he moulds his teams right, Allardyce is a it's really difficult to play against them. You've got Kabai playing out of his skin as well for them, and they've got Leicester, who have been doing wonderfully. I mean, how are they doing at the moment, by the way? Have they have, uh, have Leicester scored? I don't know, and um, I'm not interested. And you got. Uh, I mean, look, the thing about Allardyce. Let, let, let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope Allardyce is more Aladino than Aladicio. <laughs> we need to wrap up the part, J.K. And I just want to like give the final word on it on it to sure. Liam. Um, you know, Liam, how, how big's the semi-final going to be for us uh, on Saturday? Do you think it's going to have a bearing either way? I think it's absolutely huge. Um, in terms of the bearing on the title race, there might be a little bit of a, of a hangover, but I do agree with Jonathan. I think both of these teams are pretty mentally mm. strong at this point. Spurs have done really well to bounce back from what happened last season, and and Chelsea have, you know, Chelsea had even further to climb back from from last season's disaster. So. I think both of them will, will shrug it off if they lose, but it will be a fantastic game. And, um, you know, I, I expect Spurs to play 3-4-3 again, as they did in January, which is could be a bit of a problem because I think they're really, really good in that formation. Um, one, one thing that I think not many people might be talking about, but I think it could be really important for Victor Moses to have a, a very good game because they won't have Danny Rose in all likelihood. And Ben Davis is not quite the same. Um, technically or athletically on that side. The good thing about playing at Wembley is that it's such a wide pitch um, that when Tottenham try to press, it won't be quite as effective as at White Hart Lane. And given that Conte likes to have Alonso parked on one touchline, Moses on the other, they can they can use that width to their advantage. I think that's going to be a huge, huge impact, Liam. I, I'm, I called that out as well. I think that when you look at the space and maybe potentially room for some long balls over the top that uh you know some striker can put on goal um that that is the space around is going to be really really tough for for Spurs to close us down as 
efficiently as they normally do. So, uh, and they really just suck at Wembley. So we have those two things going <laughs> for us at least. Well, you know, I, I agree with that, Nick. I tell you what, I mean, I, I, I don't know how it's going to pan out, but I really hope we smash them on uh, uh, on Saturday, not least because one of the best matches of my entire life was watching them get stuffed 5-1 in a semi-final <laughs> at Wembley. But I also think that if we do beat them, actually, I think it's going to have a far worse psychological impact on them because they're on such a roll at the moment and it will really stop them in their tracks and make them think, oh, well, maybe we're not as clever as we think we are. I, I, you know. Anyway, let's let's hope we win. Let's let's move on uh, because after the break, uh, we're going to say thank you very much to John Terry, captain, leader, legend. As we look back on arguably the greatest ever Chelsea player's career, we'll see you in a sec. Cheech, J.K. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live, <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all... No more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, of course. This is the Chelsea Fancast, and uh, I'm delighted to be joined this week by the uh, wonderful Jonathan Kidd and the uh, ESPN Chelsea correspondent, Mr. Liam Toomey. And the wonderful Nick Vellaney from the fantastic London is Blue podcast, all the way from the US of A. Howdy. Howdy. It's good to hear y'all. <laughs> right, uh, before we get on with the stuff in this part, which is basically going to be a monster, monster loving for John Terry, uh, just a quick plug for the Kerry Dixon show, which, of course, I record each week with Kerry Dixon. Uh, 
So uh, it's available on Thursday afternoons usually, so make sure you download it via Acast, iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, but also, obviously, we're going to be uh, doing the final word on the Man United game. And, of course, Kerry and I will be looking forward to uh, what's going to happen on Saturday in the, in, the, in the FA Cup semi-final against Spurs. Kerry will be well up for that, that's for sure. Uh, right, OK, as I said, this part's all going to be about John Terry. Um just to, uh, uh, you know, obviously the, the news came through last night uh, and uh, the world and his wife, uh, uh, I mean, I'm almost about to say, hands up everybody here who's written a blog today about John Terry. I mean, I know that's probably me and Liam. Yes? Um, no, I haven't actually written a blog. No, no. no. no we have some content. I can't believe you've not covered well, we it. we have some content in the works, but no. Um, we, I mean, we have our we have our bloggers, you know, you know Mark, uh, Mark Worrell and uh, Phil. Well, yeah, I think they've got they've got that pretty covered. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. I don't think I've read Mark's written a couple. I haven't read them. I've read one of them. I mean, you know, I, I kind of I do a weekly one for Football London, as you know, and I, I kind of uh, I just I actually emailed them today and said Look, I, I kind of feel I ought to do one on JT really, and they absolutely agreed, thankfully, because it would have been stupid to have written about anything else today. And and you know, and in, in a sense that that kind of gives you an idea of the impact that the news has had. I mean, we've kind of expected it, but. Uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, tinged with sadness when I heard. Um, just to recap on John's marvellous career, uh, four Premier Leagues, hopefully five soon, one Champions League, five FA Cups, hopefully six soon, three League Cups, one Europa League, 713 appearances, 66 goals so far. Uh, st- astonishing, astonishing uh, statistical record. But, uh, you know, just to, just a couple of other things. Uh, you know, obviously the last youth player to break through. Um, this is a a, a guy who, at the age of about nineteen, twenty, supplanted the World Cup winning uh, Mar- uh, Marcel Desailly. Um The thing is, though, boys, uh, there, there are so many great things about JT. Uh, number one, Nick, best defender of his generation, best defender in the Premier League period. I mean, he's he's without uh, a comparison to to anyone else. I mean. I think when you when you look at him, uh, the thing that stands out to me is that he was always accountable. <laughs> like, and I know that sounds stupid, but when you look at kind of the first player to put his hand up or to talk after a rough performance, that kind of stuff—the stuff that your captain is supposed to do, uh, regardless of if he wants to or not—that's uh, that's what gives me you know extreme confidence in him and extreme sadness that he's going because they don't make him like him you know he he's he's no. just a, a tremendous tremendous captain and you know take all the the stats out of it it's almost like too much to to say in a sentence but uh he he just is accountable and I, i'm i'm extremely happy for for him that he gets to go out on on what appears to be more of his terms than last year yeah, I, I, do you know what, Nick? That's a really good point. It's, it's also a point I made in in the in the thing I did for uh, Football London, and and that's that. Uh, it seems to me that the timing is no coincidence, even though Gary Neville seems to like not understand this, but he is Gary Neville, to be <laughs> fair. Um, but you know, I, I think when he didn't get picked on Sunday, that was the writing on the wall. Though that's probably been going on for ages in the background. He knows he's not going to get many games. He'll get even less next year if he stayed on. I think he still wants to play, and I think he may well. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but I think announcing it now it means that you know there's this whole run in for the rest of the season where we know that we're going to be able to say goodbye to JT on May the 21st, which we wouldn't have got had the opportunity to do if, had we not known. Like people like Frank and Didier and and Peter Czech, you know, 
we haven't really had that opportunity to say goodbye to them, whereas we will with J, uh, JT. Now, talking of Js, JK, I've been wanting to ask you this question uh, for the last two days, and uh, it's not even in the script. So there we go. You're the only person around the, the, the virtual table tonight who can comment on this, because what I was thinking of today was that, you know, JT is clearly uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest player we've ever seen, statistically in every other way. Uh, the only other era I could think of like that was the was the great, you know, Kings of the Kings roadside, late 60s, early 70s, and you had the Osgoods, Bonettis, Choppers, Alan Hudson's, all of that ilk. Um, now, the comparison to make really would be perhaps when, when Chopper Harris called it a day although of course the circumstances were completely different and chopper bless him kind of carried on until his legs fell off but you know how does it compare for you seeing the last of this fantastic era going and how does it compare to seeing the last of that great era we had in the late 60s early 70s going um well that that all split up acrimoniously didn't it there was a it wasn't allowed to uh, to run it course. no so, you know jt's run his course there's no you can't compare um chopper with Bit like Chopper, well, then, in a way, because yeah, Chopper had he run he his course, didn't he? England, though, did he? He was he was an under under twenty three no. international, but he he never played uh, and never got a full cap because he wasn't that gifted. I'm afraid he was, uh, you know, he was master of the dark arts. So, um, uh, but but you know what? The the interesting thing is, J.K. Uh, 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 at that point, he was our most successful ever captain. He'd, he'd won the FA Cup and the Cup yes, Winners' Cup. It's true, but he also he was he he was shifted about in positions, which actually sort of vaguely gave you a. Um, a feeling that he wasn't, he, he never, he, he wasn't working terribly well where he was, or there was a better player, you know, because suddenly he'd find himself in midfield, or he'd be playing left back or right back, which I think was testimony to his, uh, to his ability. But um, uh, he, he wasn't as dominant, and he wasn't. I'm afraid he didn't express himself as well, and uh, and you, it wasn't a world where you got, you know, post-match commentary, you know, post-match comment. It wasn't the media wasn't all over it like a rash as it as it has been since Sky got involved and he's and JT's been involved uh, all the way since Sky was involved and before as well but uh, um, essentially that's been most of his career when uh, when there's been a huge amount of publicity so um, but no I think the main thing is is yeah you you have a you have a warm feeling about uh, about Chopper but um, you know J, JT's a man who's uh, who's won so many trophies. Um, uh, what was it? The statement in Twitter was he's won, uh, somebody said he's won more than... Um, two-thirds of our trophy. Two, he's won, he's, you know, been involved in winning two-thirds of our entire trophy. And I think, and I think um, 13 more than most people in the current Arsenal squad have, have won. In, in the, well, John Terry, he's won more than you. Indeed, indeed. So, so but it, it's, uh, it's very different times. Um you didn't feel the same, and, and previously there were no centre halves who came anywhere near um, uh, his abilities, uh, who were also regularly who was captain of England, regular internationals. Um, you know, Marvin Hinton uh, was in and out. You had Joe Kirkup played in the middle occasionally, but he also played fullback. That was in the '67 side. Um, uh, John Dempsey. Yeah, John, John Dempsey. Yeah, there's a there, yeah he was he was a Republic of Ireland international, of course. Um, uh, and yeah, he was, but he, marvelous Marvin I, Hinton. I, I mentioned Hinton before. Yeah, no, but he was. But but uh, yeah. Dempsey was only about three or four seasons, so nobody had the longevity and the. Uh, um, and it also yeah. had come hadn't been transferred because Dempsey was transferred from Fulham, if you remember. 
and Hinton came from Charlton, if I remember rightly. So they hadn't started off. You know, the one thing about JT's legend, of course, is the fact that he, he came in as a kid. Yeah. You know, there's a picture of him signing forms as a schoolboy on the pitch with his mum that did the rounds of... You know, and, and, Gra- and actually, if you don't mind yeah, me interrupting, and, and Graham Ricks, who very sadly had a heart attack last week. He's weirdly apparently coaching... At Porchester, which is where I where I first lived when I was was born, uh, but yeah, Rico's had a heart attack, so uh, I'm, I'm sure he's not listening to this. But uh, get well soon. Remember him fondly, of course, around the Viali time. Well, Graham Ricks, yeah, yeah, his, his, mm. he was, of course, he when he was a coach, he played in the Austria Austria Vienna game when we had to have a, a, we had right. to have a quota. Do you remember that of English players when Hoddle do, was managing yeah. when John Spencer scored? The goal when he actually ran from the edge of our penalty area right up the end of the pitch and scored. It was one of the one of the most. Is there any is there is there any truth in the rumor that that Spencer when he was kind of because he did run, run most of the pitch and score? Does there any truth that as he was doing so he was shouting "Oh Vienna"? <laughs> How ridiculous that is, Judge! Fantastic. I, I do Fantastic. hope so. I do hope so. JK, what what is it you will miss most about JT? Uh, his complete commitment, the brilliance of his commitment, and the mm. fact that um, he could pull something out of the bag. You know, he'll score as well. Remember, he scored 40 goals, didn't he, more than uh, any other Premier League um, uh, centre-half defender um, in the same mm. position. So, I mean, I, you could, you're just completely reliable and wonderful. And I thought that him, him and Carvalho together were just uh, faultless. I mean, brilliant, brilliant pairing, superb. Wonderful, wonderful player. You know, I'd like. To, I'll probably be upset when he, um, if he does give a send off, I'll probably blub because. Uh, no, he, I will, mate. Yeah, I, I will be blubbing like a blubbing wonderful. thing. But you know, we, yeah, we you, know, you, you move on. We just observe. You know, so. you do well. You know, and I think actually here's another point, J.K. And I, I, I'll talk to Liam about this as well if you don't mind. But you know, actually, I, I agree with J.K. totally. It's his commitment and his leadership. I think that will be most sorely missed. But we won't see his like again. You know, he's a throwback. You don't get people who play for one club for 22 years. But one of the things that I shall really miss, and, and I and I fear, I fear for the club in a sense without somebody like J.T. There, he's one of those rare players that genuinely I think gets what it's about. He gets the supporters. He actually gets the fact that. You know, we're here forever, and players, even him, come and go. And you know, I mean, I we we can I can tell you in a minute some anecdotes that that, that will back this up. But his generosity behind the scenes and his time, the time he has for supporters and the help he gives to them, is unparalleled in my experience. And I think it's going to be a real huge void when he goes, and we get players who can't be bothered to go and applaud the away fans on a cold, wet night in Middlesbrough. And that kind of thing. I mean, it, it, would you agree with that, Liam? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think um, I don't think you've you've seen any captains in the last twenty, thirty years go as far or be as proactive to to build a relationship with with the fans that runs as deep as as Terry's, um, and also just embracing the role of captain at, at every level of the club. You know, I, my I've not had too many personal dealings with Terry, but. You know, I, I often go to youth games at Cobham that aren't open to the public, and he he's always there watching the youth sides at almost every level. And that you know, that's not he's not there to be seen because, like I said, that there aren't many people there. He's just there because he takes an interest. And you know, whenever they talk to academy graduates and 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 people that have come through the club and, and not made it for various reasons, they'll all say how helpful Terry was at every stage and how. 
you know, so, you know, some senior players, even some captains can be really aloof from, from the youngsters and the guys that are looking to learn, or there can be, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of hazing and a lot of hierarchy, but he was always so approachable, so friendly and, and so helpful. And I think, um, I think that will be his legacy inside the club. I think that's what everyone will remember. And obviously the, the efforts that he's made with the fans will be, he'll be rewarded for that for the rest of his life every time he comes back to Stamford Bridge. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting, actually, because obviously I, I spend a lot of time, you know, talking to Kerry Dixon now, and, and Kerry, you know, when I talk to him off air, you know, and when, when I meet him, has always says this, that, he, you know, he, he's always had it instilled in him is that he has time for the supporters. They made him who he was. You know, he'll always stop and sign autographs. He, he has time for people. He, he kind of gets it and he gets... You know, he, there's a there's a humility about him which comes from the love that he gets from the supporters, ironically, and and in a sense, JT's there's a link there. JT gets that, and actually, that you know, JT would have been at the club when Kerry was there, and and I and I just wonder who that baton is now going to be passed on to, Nick. Uh, but um, what I'd like to ask you, Nick, is what what's your you know, if you had to select one one moment that says it all about JT for you, what what would it be? I mean, I think just when you think about commitment and you think about JT, it's not only his amazing defensive reading of the game, but his ability to put his face in front of someone's boot because that's the Mm. right thing to do in that moment. And I, you know, I love every defender that we have at the club right now. I I think that Dave is probably the only one who would do that. And, uh, you know, I think that that just it's a special thing within you. It's a special edge of competitiveness for you to put your entire body on the line uh, every every game and, you know, get knocked out because you got kicked in the face, uh, you know, against Arsenal in the FA Cup. So, uh, you know, I think that is just a, a tremendous memory. And I think it says everything you need to say. Mm, totally right. I, 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 that's without doubt one of my favourite memories. Jonathan, if you had to pick one, what would it be? Uh, well, similar, similar um, situation. I just, just constantly seem to be. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just. I'm, I can't even pick one. I think there are so many where constantly, clearly injured, and clearly lesser players would have gone off, just carrying on. I mean, just, just phenomenal ability mm. to um, to remain focused and just, just. Uh, um, keep the players going forward with him. Um, uh, very difficult mm. act to follow. You know, uh, we, we look we look for players to to achieve that same kind of uh, camaraderie to create that, and uh, uh, and and we're always we're always failing to find them. In a in a sense that you know you'd love mm. Gary Cahill to do the same, but he's not. He doesn't have the same personality as JT. I mean, my my one of my I despair of the way that JT has been vilified by the press. To such an extent that when I, when somebody says to me, "Who's one of you? Who are your two favourite Chelsea players of the last few years?" I will say, uh, Frank Lampard and, and John Terry. I will be taken to the cleaners about, yeah, but he's not a he's yeah. not a nice bloke. And you go, yeah, but you're just judging him on you know, urinating in a bar when he was eighteen, um, having a conversation about. Let's be honest. Who hasn't done well, that, Jacob? I, I have to say, yes, indeed. indeed <laughs> said, said, said Jonathan, lying completely. Um, but um, no, the kind of things that, that he's vilified for, you know, parking in a disabled bay, you know, as well. You go, and then of course the affair that he had with Wayne, the alleged affair with with uh, Wayne Bridges' um, girlfriend, and these are always wheeled out as examples of what a nasty man he is. 
when when all the information that we get is absolutely to the contrary. And, you know, he constantly go, he goes into every game, opposition uh, changing rooms, um, thanks them for the game, congratulates people, is charming, um, is, is uh, you know, a sweet man, a sweet personality. And uh, and I, I, I really object to the way that he's been um, taken to the cleaners by the uh, by the media as a kind of hate figure. Um, and, it, and also, I suppose, when I sent he didn't help himself with the whole um, the whole business with um, uh, Anton Ferdinand, but uh, but nonetheless, it, it's it's they went for him and and he became an easy target. And it it isn't what he's like. Mm. It's absolutely obvious. It's not what he's like as a person. So, uh, well, I, I, I'm lucky enough to have met him several times, and also, you know, I get quite a bit of juice from what goes on in the background. And uh, you know, I, I have people that I know who who have been, I mean, who've lost loved ones who he's privately messaged. You know, there's a lad that that wrote a letter to him who's a bit a big listener of uh, the show, James Copper. He won't mind me saying so, but he he wrote a, a letter to J.K. offering his support when he was getting absolutely you know annihilated by the media. J.K. J.K. J.T. sent him a pair of signed boots and a letter back saying thank you. Uh, I mean, the work he does behind the scenes with charities, the the stuff he does behind the scenes for the CFC UK. I mean, you name it. This is this is the antithesis of what he's portrayed in the media, Liam. Um, and I'm sure you know that too. Uh, but going back to what you were saying, what, if, if you had one one favourite JT moment, what would it be, Liam? Well, I think the the header to beat Barcelona in 2005 stands out immediately. Yeah, uh, yeah baby. For my, just because at the time I think they were the best team in the world, and it was a, it was a real, it was just one of the most incredible matches I've ever seen. Um, but the, I'd also like to give an honourable mention to Chelsea's last title season. You know, to play every minute of a title-winning campaign yes. at the age of 34. The only outfielder who'd done that previously was Gary Pallister, and, he, and that was in a very different age of the Premier League. You know, it was much slower yeah. and, a, and a lot less easier for older players, I think. Um, that was a phenomenal achievement. And, and, you know, as Nick was saying earlier about his, his, his status in comparison to the Premier League's other great defenders, I think his longevity... Um, is is one of the biggest arguments in his favour in that conversation. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. I mean, I, I've got. Um, a, I'll go for a recent memory. Really, I mean, I could have picked so many, of course, but you know, I think my last kind of memory as JT the player will be um, in that three-three draw at home against mm-hmm. Everton when he scored that goal on the ninety-fourth <laughs> minute and he just launched into the Matthew Harding. Lower and he was in delirium. The Matthew Harding lower. It, it was the per- for me. That's the perfect symbol of, of of what JT is all about. All about completely in sync with the supporters. He was one of us in that moment. And 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 of all the memories I have of JT as a player, that's the one that will linger with me. I think and probably the last great memory of him in a in a Chelsea shirt. I have a general memory which I which I which I which I just love. And 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 actually, it's been taken the piss out of in in various you know vines and stuff which is you know like collage of john terry the shouting man of him constantly pointing and shouting at his teammates and cajoling his teammates but i i I love that's another image that i'll take over the entire 22 years because he's always seen to he just shouts randomly at people or or as if he has some sort of football Tourette's. (laughs) but i love that about him i love that about him that that is kind of what he is about he's an absolute 150,000% leader and my god are we going to miss him 
Now, look, very quickly, because we've got a few plugs to give out and stuff. Um, I'm going hit, to hit you with this first, Liam. There are rumours that actually he may well carry on playing and quite possibly against what he said, which was to play for uh, another Premier League club. Do you think that's likely? Well, what I think was particularly interesting was um, a few weeks ago when Frank Lampard came out and said that yeah. it wouldn't hurt Terry's legacy to play for another Premier League club. Now, why I think that's interesting is in the same way as when Paul Scholes spoke about Ryan Giggs, you know, when Louis van Gaal was the Manchester United manager, it's hard not to hear those words and and read into them that you know maybe it's something that Terry has said to Lampard. You know, that they are so close and there's such a long-standing relationship between them that it, it's hard to to divorce Lampard's comments from that context. Um, it could it could well have been Terry sort of testing the water, seeing how that kind of that idea would be received. I don't think Chelsea fans would hold it hugely against him as long as it wasn't Tottenham. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. As long as it's not Spurs. But yeah. I, I, I think uh, I, it's really sorry, sorry. Go on, Liam. Sorry, go finish, on, Liam. I think the you know the ones that are being linked at the moment, Bournemouth were clearly interested in in January. Um, I also know Mark Hughes is very much an admirer of him. Um, so Stoke could be a possibility, and you could imagine him, given what you know Tony Pulis has managed to do with Gareth McCauley uh, at West Brom. You could imagine Terry being a, a considerable upgrade in in that regard. I mean, all those options are a fairly mundane end to what has been a spectacular career. But if he wants to continue playing in the Premier League, um, that could be the the size of club that he goes for. Him and Shawcross. Yeah, I think that's a good him point. Sorry, sorry, uh, JK. Him and Shawcross, what a combination that would be. <laughs> yeah, that's the sort of men out from the boys, isn't it, JK? Nick, I mean, would you would you have, would you have a problem with that at all? Uh, you know, I think if if this is you know the club saying goodbye, uh, which it kind of you know feels that way to me. Uh, no, I don't. I mean, what he does. Uh, next is completely up to him. You know, if he doesn't have a contract with the club and isn't forcing his way out, then what are you going to do? I mean, yeah, from what I hear over in the states, the MLS is not uh, eagerly anticipating this uh, by any means. So I think it's probably either going to be somewhere in the UK or in or in China uh, that he goes. And you know, best of luck to him uh, wherever he is. Uh, and you know, I also think that he. You know, for as much bad press as he's received in his career, and, you know, it's 22 years, of course, you're going to get some bad press. But he's a master of playing the media, too. Like, he'll he'll seed yeah, stories yeah. out there to get contract raises yeah. or, to, or to solidify his place at the club. He's a master of that. And what I, what I really think is going to happen next is he's going to seed a few ideas out there and see what is the most accepted as far as uh, fans go and probably do that because if he wants to keep playing, he's going to have to go somewhere else. And, you know, that, that'll just be that. But I also just quickly want to say when he leaves, I think the, the player power scenario at Chelsea is almost completely gone with him. I think he was a part of that era and, and rightly so. Um, but I think that that full transition has now gone to Antonio Conte, who is who is the master and commander of all things Chelsea. Just just to say, a very good point. Just to say quickly on that on that Nick about um, the point of Terry playing the media. I mean, I was part of that mix zone huddle that um, he spoke to last season when he made that incredible declaration that Chelsea weren't offering him a new contract, and 
he actually waited to speak to us in the mix up. We were talking to Oscar. That, that never happens, I can tell you that. Um, a player will not wait two or three minutes for you to finish. Um, so he clearly had something to say at that point. That was an example of him taking control of the situation. Um, and that's why I think it's, it's significant that this was very much a joint announcement this time. I think after the way things played out last year, it became a, a, a bit of an embarrassing sideshow. And there was a will on both sides to to handle things differently this time and, and manage what, you know, become increasingly clear was going to be his exit uh, in a graceful and, and unified way. And I think they've they've managed to do that. That's a very, very good point, Liam. I'm going to leave the last word on this to the very lovely and wonderful Bob Uzray. Uh, who always comments every week and uh, always he always leaves like nice little posts and says thank you for my blogs and that was great and so I love Bob hopefully I'll get to have a beer with you one day Bob but Bob said this which is just perfect he says tears in my eyes thinking of the joy JT has given me as a Chelsea fan I could not agree with that more if I tried Bob I really really couldn't and actually you know I think it's very sad because it's for me it represents the absolute end of the era of quite possibly the greatest Chelsea team any of us will ever see. I mean, there is that possibility. So there's a tinge of sadness, but fair play to the man. What an absolute legend he's been for the club. Now, uh, we must get a few plugs out very, very quickly because I, I, we ran out of time last week because we witted on so much as I tend to do. Uh, but first of all, the Chelsea Supporters Trust, of course. Join the trust, get your voice heard by the club. Uh, we had a meeting with them last week where we were talking about away ticketing, for example. Tim's doing an analysis on that, which you will see soon. He's done another one on uh, kickoff times uh, for away games close to many of our members' hearts and all of you, I'm sure. So it's a very worthwhile thing being part of. All you have to do is to pay £5 to become a voting member. Uh, it's also free if you want to be a non-voting member, but frankly, pay your fiver and vote, and then you can vote me out next August. How delightful would that be? No, please don't. <laughs> uh, anyway, sign up at sign up at ChelseaSupportersTrust.com, uh, and of course that means you can attend the meetings as well, come to any events we have, and as I said, you can vote on the issues that directly affect you and make sure you get your voice heard. Of course, follow them at Chelsea S Trust. Uh, talking of worthwhile things to do, um, you make sure, if you don't already, own a little bit of Chelsea and protect the future of the club by buying a share uh, in the Chelsea pitch owners. Um, and by the way, it links a little bit, uh, the most requested signer of shares when you buy a CPO share is John Terry. So if you haven't already got a share, you better get one damn quick if you want John Terry to sign it. Uh, but obviously, if you do, it means uh, that you'll contribute to owning the freehold of Stamford Bridge and you'll make sure that Chelsea remain playing football at Stamford Bridge forever. And if you think that just because we're getting a new stadium built, we don't need to do it, we need to do this more than ever now. Trust me on this, people. Uh, it's about 100 quid or so for a share. Email info at chelseapitchowners.com uh, to go and get one or you can check out chelseafc.com forward slash fans forward slash chelsea hyphen pitch hyphen owners follow them on twitter at pitch owners and of course you can buy shares in installments if you can't share uh, shell out the entire 100 or so in one go uh thankfully uh cfc uk the best and only uh chelsea original fanzine is much cheaper at what is it jonathan only a pen hurry up very good. He did that very well. Uh, now, if you can't uh, go and uh, spend only a pound and by hurrying up to uh, the stall, which is situated opposite Fulham Broadway Tube uh, on a match day, uh, you can get it digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net. And if you're in the USA, you can follow at cfcukusa 
uh, and or, or get hold of the wonderful uh, Dan Lundberg, who's on Twitter at dlundberg underscore. Nick, do you do you get um, hold of uh, proper copies of CFC UK in the states? You're gonna you're gonna have to scold me because I don't, but now I will. I, I hear I hear the I hear the rage Ooh. I hear the rage inside your head. Oh dear me, Nick. That's I'm, I feel very let down by that. And have, have you have you joined? Uh, I know you're in the trust, aren't you? Yep. I know you've signed up for the trust. Yep, in the trust. Yep. Uh, yep. Need to be a pitch owner still. Those are my last two things because we yep. do the Chelsea yep. in America thing over here as well. So. Yeah, yeah. So you know Dan, you know Dan and all of that lot. Yep. Yeah, you know Dan Lundberg and those guys. Yeah, yeah. I thought you would. Cool. All right, Nick. I'll forgive you in that there case. We right. Uh, we got to go because we've got a very busy part next part, and uh, we're going to have emails from New York, and India, and Canada, and Mexico, and some exotic far-flung place in the outer galaxy called Cornwall. <laughs> they do speak a different language, mind. Right. We'll see you in a sec. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Football Fancast.com. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast, and we are in the final part, uh, or as they say in the States, we're in the final quarter. Is that right, That's Nick? That's right. Quarterback style. Yeah, there we go. I like it. Very good. We, we've we not had enough of Nick doing American-type things or, or Chidge trying to do American-type things and embarrassing myself because there's been far too much football and good stuff to talk about, but never mind. I'm delighted we've got Nick Villaney from the London is Blue podcast with us. Nick? Howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy. And uh, we've also got the lovely Liam Toomey, who always raises the intelligence and the sense of Chelsea debate uh, when he comes on. And, of course, he's ESPN's Chelsea correspondent. So he's in the press press pack and all of that kind of stuff. Gets to see the press conferences, don't you, Liam? Yes, I do. Pleasure to be here. You're right. yeah, it's very lucky. We're lucky to have you, my friend. And last, but by no means least... Uh, I kind of hesitate to call you my sidekick, Jonathan, because it means that I would be able to kick you in the side. And, of course, I can't anymore because we do this virtually. But, hey, you know, good to have you howdy, here. Howdy, Oh, very good. I, was that Nick? Yeah, I sounded wow. like Nick to me. Yeah. Not, couldn't possibly have been Jonathan. No, I, I need, to, I need right, to get uh, a bit I, deeper to be Nick. Nick's sort of down there, isn't he? <laughs> got to get low. I gotta Nick, get, Nick, Nick, I Nick gotta is get Bob Booker, mate. I, I can't. Real I, low. You, you know, I, there it is. Low. There it is. Oh, How low can you go? Nowhere near. Yeah, yeah. I gotta get even lower. You're like you got to do the movie preview guy. You got to get in a world. Uh, indeed, indeed. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. Jonathan does movie preview guy. Jonathan, do one of your movie preview guy voiceovers to show Nick that the you life. Know, he, he's not. He can't mess the with life. you. Yeah, the he can't mess with the you. The life of Albert Einstein, genius. This Thursday on National Geographic. Boom, boom. Well done. Yeah, I, I tell you what, mate. Much as I love you, Nick, Nick shits all well, he over. Does, he does. Nick, you do he, it. He completely, I agree. I'm, I'm willing. I give in. You know, my career, my career is over, Chich. I'm happy for that. You know, <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, Nick, Nick, you must have bollocks the size of base uh, basketballs to, to 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 be that low. I mean, I'm impressed. I have to mate, wear baggy really. shorts. Uh, you know? So. Uh, yeah, Christ, <laughs> let, let alone, yeah, let's not go there. Uh, right, okay, you see, you don't get this kind of banter on the London uh, is Blue podcast. Anyway, I, I've got a couple of things to read out before we, we get into some fantastic emails. Uh, anyway, the first of which, I just wanted to remind you all that uh, the Royal Borough of Windsor have acquired a small bench uh, for Peter Osgood, 
uh, basically, um, he was a resident of Windsor, as many of you will know, and uh, they've installed this bench in Osgood Park in Peter's honour, and it's being unveiled on Saturday the 29th of April at 11am, which, uh, number one, happens to be my mum's birthday, and number two happens to be the day after the ninth birthday of the Chelsea fancast. How about that? Anyway, all Chelsea fans, past and present, are very welcome to attend. Ed is the councillor there. He's a brilliant bloke, and they do lots of things to honour Peter Osgood, and I love them for it. Right, uh, last week we had a lovely email from uh, from Matt Brown, and uh, he's running in the London Marathon, which of course is on Sunday, and he's running for a very, very worthy cause, which is the London Air Ambulance, which of course he was a beneficiary of when he had a, a very nasty accident when he was a young lad. Um, anyway, he's asked us very kindly to plug him running the marathon, and you can sponsor him. This is an absolute mouthful, so it may be easy just to go to his twitter page follow him on twitter at m brown cfc and you'll have the details and the link to sponsor him uh, in the marathon and he's raising money for the london air ambulance that's at m brown cfc and the link is on there it's a mouthful i won't read it out um okay jonathan it's time for emails it's time for emails <laughs> that was pretty that good was good I that like was pretty that. good <laughs> Yeah, you were you were warming up for I that one. Um, <laughs> this is from Nick Barkley. Hello, Chidge and the esteemed panel of guests. I'm a big fan of the show, and as I'm writing this, I'm already imagining it being read in J.K.'s inimitable voice. Oh, Nick, thank you. I didn't grow up in a football household. Being from the United States, it was all basketball for me as a kid. But all that changed with the 2006 World Cup. I decided I would give the game a try and see what all the fuss was all about. The first match I watched was Mexico versus Iran. And from then on, I was a football fanatic. I watched almost all of the remaining games without much care of who was playing. Following the conclusion of the tournament, I decided I needed to pick a club team because I wasn't going to wait four years to watch quality football again. I began researching the teams in England. And when I found Chelsea was chock full of the players I'd spent the summer watching, players like Didier Drogba, Frank Lampard and Michael Ballack, I knew that I was going to be a blue. It was difficult to watch matches in those days, so I followed the results online and read match reports. But it wasn't until 2009 that I happened to find a Chelsea match on during one of my breaks between classes. It was a Champions League match against Liverpool and a certain Mr Ivanovic stole the show. I continued to follow Chelsea the rest of the season and was determined to never miss a match. Fast forward a bit to 2012 and the second leg of the match against Napoli. This time I had to skip class to watch, but good God, it was worth it. Ivanovic again was the hero. When it came to the Champions League final that year, I unfortunately had to miss the match. I was speaking at the UN General Assembly, and it could not be rescheduled. Once the match went into extra time, I knew there was a chance I could catch the very end of it. Maybe. I had my Chelsea jersey on under my suit. As soon as my speech was over, I was quickly heading to the exit when I happened upon a guard watching on a portable TV. We peered over it together as Drogba stepped up to the penalty spot. What an amazing feeling. I caught quite a few stares as I ran out of the United Nations headquarters, stripping off my business attire to reveal the Chelsea badge beneath and high-fiving or hugging anyone I saw. This season, I had the joy of seeing Chelsea at Stamford Bridge for the first time, the match against Tottenham. I was delighted by the stadium, the team and the atmosphere. 
My question for you all is, in the, US, in the USA, it's much less common to see people sporting a tyre for a certain club. And whenever I see a fellow blue, I always want to let them know I'm a supporter too. However, I've not yet worked out how to do this gracefully. Approaching strangers in NYC is not always the best idea. Any advice on how to build connections with fellow Chelsea men and women on the street? Thanks all. Hashtag carefree in NYC. Hashtag keep the blue flag flying high. Nick Barkley. Excellent. Do you, do you know what, Jonathan? In, in my very warped mind, as, you, as you, you know how warped my mind is, but in my warped mind, I like to think that that isn't actually Nick Barkley. It's actually Kofi Annan who wrote that email in. <laughs> yes. You know, wouldn't that be great? Um, it's, it's a great question, though. It's a great I'm going to ask all the boys this in a minute, but, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll share what I do first. I mean, I actually think that we should invent a silly walk for Chelsea supporters so you can identify each other by the way that we walk. But, I mean, I, I, I for example, am of a generation, as is Jonathan, uh, where we don't, we're not shirters, are we? We don't, we don't tend to wear shirts. Uh, the new slimline uh, kind of horrible material they make them out is not really befitting of a, of a fat son of a bitch like me, really. So that puts me off for starters. So I tend to do what I always used to do um, when I was a kid going, which, is, which is, is to wear a little Chelsea badge, you see. And of course, that's what used to happen in the old days, because you didn't want to go coloured up because you'd probably get killed by some lunatic fringe from the opposition fans. So you'd, you'd identify yourselves by wearing a little shiny Chelsea badge, which is immediately obvious to a Chelsea supporter, but not necessarily obvious to somebody on the other side. And, and, and I'll give you an example of how this worked recently. I went into a shop in Winchester, not a place where you'd expect to find lots of Chelsea supporters, and I had my supporters' trust badge on my jacket, and then the guy surreptitiously said to me, he said, uh, yeah, so we, we're going we're gonna to beat Arsenal on Saturday then. I said, yeah, I reckon so. And there was that knowing look. He knew I was a Chelsea supporter. I knew he was a supporter. And then we engaged in this wonderful, very convivial conversation as a result, you know. Uh, so there we go. So that's kind of, I think, how we do it. Jonathan, I mean, how, how, how well, about you? That, um, that Bobby Tambling star was from that era where you, you oh, bought all those yeah, you yeah, bought yeah. little photographs of the players with a, a star in the colours of the team, five-pointed star. Um and uh, I've got a few Fulham as well, actually. I've got Bobby Robson, which is quite nice. A couple of um, Man United, George Hurd, I've got from that era. But that's just because, you know, I like the players. But uh, I had about about 25 Chelsea, which I've still got in the, in a little box, along with my teeth. The first teeth I had, little kids' teeth. So it goes to show you, I'll tell you how long ago it was. But um, I, I was in Exeter recently, and um, uh, that's where my, my girlfriend's uh, mother and father live. And, uh, and there was a bloke wearing that that strange kit you remember that was um where it had a kind of tie around the neck and i think it was uh, red and white check and it was an, an away kit with a big chelsea badge must have been about 84 yes. or something the commodore yeah, the kit com yeah yeah commodore that's right, that's kit, right. mate. and i'm up to this bloke and i said um i said uh uh i said it's good to see a chelsea fan down here in exeter he said what i said it's good it's a chelsea chelsea fan in exeter he said, I'm not a Chelsea fan. I said, what are you wearing the shirt for? He said, I found it in a jumble sale. He said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, Nick, I mean, this is a kind of interesting, you know, this, this guy lives in New York, so uh, you might be familiar with this issue. I mean, what, what do you guys do out there? I mean, how do, you, how do you know if somebody's a Chelsea supporter? How do you get in touch? I mean, I, I, think, I think Nick is right. It's always a little awkward. Um, but uh, I will say, especially if you're, 
any sort of social person, you know, if someone comes up to me and I'm wearing my my shirt or, you know, can recognize that I'm a Chelsea fan, then I'll talk their ear off for as long as possible, which is probably not what they wanted. They probably just wanted the subtle head nod that you were <laughs> that you were talking about earlier. But um, yeah, I think, you know, Nick, Nick brings up an interesting thing because uh, the United States, very Jersey oriented. A lot of I think there's a lot of kids out there now. And, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of surprised he doesn't think that there's that many. Maybe it's just New York and there's so many people that, you know, it's tough to kind of pick one out. But, you know, I, I see a lot even when I go around of, of just Premier League kits in general. So, you know, just a casual head nod and, and you know, maybe a beer at the pub, huh? Mm, mm, interesting stuff um, I, I'm surprised Nick I thought your answer was going to be so yeah of course I'm on London is Blue podcast do you want my autograph would be your normal yeah. uh, you know greeting ritual for, <laughs> for fans in the States but, not you know, famous clearly I'm wrong um, Liam I'm not going to ask you uh, but I, I am going to ask you because it would be rude not to Liam how how would you get over this problem mm, it's a difficult one it's a, it's a shame we can't implement some kind of a uh secret signal system you know like a knowing running of the finger down the nose from the sting yeah exactly <laughs> as long as, as long as it's not the finger going across the throat gesture that would be quite well, worrying I think alcohol is always a, a good um a good lower, lowering well, yes. of the barriers to any social I love, I love, uh, I love Bonnie Rig Blues's answer, which is just shout up the Chelsea. Yeah, that that tends. I've, do you know what? I've actually done that. I've kind of seen somebody in the street who's clearly a Chelsea fan. You know, they might be wearing a shirt or a scarf, and I walk past. I go up the Chelsea. You know, not not I don't shout it loudly. It's kind of under my up the Chelsea, and they love it. And they go yeah, up the Chelsea. You know, so there are all sorts of ways. We should really move on, shouldn't we, J.K.? Because we've got loads of emails and we're chuntering on as always. Uh, we've got one from, uh, I think this is from India. I could be wrong. I could be being presumptuous in that it looks like an Indian name. So uh, would you like to read the next one out? Kundli Anjurin. Do you think that's right, Judge, as a pronunciation? Well, it could be. Uh, it looks good to me. AJK right. um, and the boys. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Kundli. Uh, this is my first time writing. I have to say you guys do a great job providing insight on the club and related matters. I thought I'd take a moment to send a word in and share a few of my thoughts and questions. People put last year's performance down to Jose because Hiddig managed the team for another five to six months. I remember getting lots of draws. How much of the 10th place finish can be blamed on Goose? We got lucky to appoint Conte, but the current rumour mill about Inter Milan gives nightmares of going back to square one with an, another manager. Haven't we used them all? I heard the hate Tottenham sun being sung as we played Bournemouth. That's pretty embarrassing, as we should aim higher. Yeah, agree. Maybe the fans ran out of things. Maybe the fans <laughs> ran out of things to sing about. Well, why is Ake not on the bench? Was he injured or just left out because he's behind Zuma? Similarly, seems like we've thankfully finally stopped giving useless one-minute cameos to Michi, which must be very embarrassing for the player. Can we sub him on for Hazard or Pedro instead of William? Will the club make a Terry announcement? It's almost end of the season, so the silence is getting louder. You've preempted uh, that, mate. Well, that, that's been yeah. answered, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good... This was last week's... This, uh, sorry, yeah. Jonathan. This was last week's email, I should yeah. say. Some, some of it might look a bit weird if I didn't say Costa that. Costa is a good scrapper, but he doesn't get tons of goals. It's frustrating he never anticipates crosses until it's too late. That was my big criticism of him. And the ball has zipped by. Would you swap him for Deli Alley or Sanchez? It was so funny to see him smacking Alonso on the back after the great free kick. He carefully smacked him in a de determined manner on the back 
six or seven times in the midst of the celebrations. Matic needs to shoot more rather than just provide steel and recycle the ball. It's annoying when he's on the edge of the box and almost never takes a shot. I suspect he doesn't trust his shooting skills and prefers to let others take the shot rather than have the ball sail out of the stadium. This is a problem. So we go to Jose's lair next weekend. Yes, indeed. I hope we can thump United again. No, of course, but you never know how these games turn out. Well, prophetic. I suspect we'll defend and look to hit on the counter. Fingers crossed we return with six points and no injuries. Six points? Blimey, that would have been lovely. Um, we got none. Gents, thank you and look forward to listening to your commentary tomorrow. Keep it blue, keep it merry. Let's hope we get through squeaky bum time, squeaky clean. Cheers. Well, I think the, the, the bums the bums have been squeaking since Sunday, Kunle, but thanks for that email. Uh, should we just rock on to the next one, right. JK? Emilio Haraf. Hey, Chidge and JK. Thanks for always doing an amazing show. I'm from Vancouver, Canada, and love listening every week. I'm 25 and, been, and have been a Blues fan since 2002, when I really started getting into football. After a poor season last year, the team has been playing really well, but I'm sure all Chelsea fans are getting a bit nervous since our 10-point lead is now four. Don't remind me. Costa isn't scoring. Oh, no. And we haven't kept a clean sheet in a while. Two questions for you guys. Why does losing Alonso or Moses have such a bad effect on the team? Why didn't, doesn't Antonio Conte play Nathan Ake at left wing-back to keep the balance and the back three unchanged? (laughs) Was he even on the bench against United? And why is there no other option up front because Costa is not doing it at the moment? But Batshuayi can't even get subbed on when we need a goal. What do you think? Thanks, everyone. Up the Chelsea, Emilio. That's a very good email, isn't it? That And quite prophetic, considering what we, we talked about on the show tonight. Uh, Liam, very quickly, I mean, you know, we didn't really talk about this too much in the meat and tea version of the show, but, you know, what's the problem with Batshuayi? I mean, you know, is Conte picking Costa because that's really his only option or what? Well, I think um, when Bashwai signed, the thing that I heard from a lot of people in in France and who are familiar with him in Belgium was that he's more of a second striker than a than a number nine. And I think um, Chelsea were always going to need to adapt him to a number nine role if they weren't going to play four two four, which is what Conte originally intended to do. I think he would have seen many many more minutes if Chelsea had stuck with four two four. He's been a victim of the formation, but he's also a victim of the fact that I think Conte, after seeing him close up, clearly just doesn't trust him. Um, not playing very much has also affected Batshuayi when he's come in for cup games. He's 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 played selfishly at times, like he, he's desperate to score every time he gets the ball because he, he wants to impress too much. He, he seems to me like a, a young player who really needs to go out on loan elsewhere in the Premier League and, and get his feet under him. Um, and then he might become the player that he has the potential to be because he's a big talent. Yeah, no, I agree with that. He certainly is a talent. But I just wonder, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people are hoping, I mean, well, number one, a lot of people are hoping that Tammy Abraham comes back uh, next season. And, and number two, I'm, I think if there's been one utter massive strategic flaw for Chelsea this year, it's in not having enough uh, backup for strikers, you know, because... I take what you say about Batshuayi. He's more of a you know you know a player who plays in a two, not a one. But to have absolutely no backup to Costa is is frankly bordering on the criminal. Anyway, can we read the next email out, uh, J.K.? This is a cracker. This is this will cheer us all up massively. Then then some. This is from Andreas Burling. Hello, brilliant show. 
Oh, I'm cheered up already, Chidge. Makes following Chelsea much more fun and, and real and real now when I no longer live near the bridge. Look, losing to Man U stinks. However, the reaction in media and among many fans seems to be that we've lost the title somehow and everybody is shit. It's not the case. Some facts. Four points ahead. Six games to go. Four at home. Spurs have four away. One top six team to play. Anyone would take this. Saludos from a long-time Chelsea fan, born in Sweden, living in Mexico. Andreas Berling. Here, bloody here, J.K., isn't that? I mean, you can't argue with that, can well, you? you could can you? if you wanted to, Chich. You could, because, you know... We... I think I think Andreas nails that. I really do. If I was being gloomy, you could argue with it, but I won't. Um, no, well, well done, well done, Andreas. I like that email a lot. Uh, do you want to read the the last Steve, one, and then we can have a bit Steve of a chat Harper. before we go? This is from Steve Harper, dear Chidge and crew. After yesterday's triple X rated horror show, it's occurred to me that we may actually be witnessing the real invasion of the body snatchers. Costa was the first to go and has been relaxing on the mothership for weeks, sipping Bloody Marys and learning how to use chopsticks. I fear that the great Antonio is currently being taken over. He seemed a changed man at the Theatre of Demons, passive and blaming himself totally for that abject performance. It is true that Animal Herrera did handle the ball. Their first goal should not, therefore, have happened and that changed the game after just seven minutes. But Conte's organisation of the defence after Alonso pulled out is a total mystery to me. If Alonso had a virus, why wasn't Ake a natural left-sided defender on the bench? The back line was totally disrupted, and the whole team essentially couldn't function, with United spoiling tactics and our total confusion. I don't know why we persist with the husk, formerly known as Diego Costa. The smart response to Jose's tactics would have been to actually play as a counter-attacking team with Hazard, Pedro and William running at United from deep, have Luiz and Chesk make long passes up to the front three and defend deep to negate the speed of Rashford and Lingard. Even, even if we were lacking enough fullback cover, it would have given Mourinho a lot to think about. I'm staying optimistic for Wembley, but if we turn up like yesterday, the spuds will punish us. They're a better team than United and know how to effectively stifle our system and swamp us in midfield. Conte must mix things up because losing badly could totally screw our season. Be bold. Confuse Pochettino. Drop Costa. I was secretly hoping he would get a red card yesterday as he was giving the ball to United so much. It would have evened the numbers from 12 to 10 to 11 to 10 and play Hazard stroke Pedro as rotating false number nines. Let's be bold, get back on track, win the double and move on to win the Champions League in 2018. Carefree and see you at Wembley. Steve, born and raised in West London, living in Cornwall and refusing to accept an ending at Beachy Head. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, that's a good email. Do you know what, mate? Uh, that That's kind of like, that embodies, you know, most uh, old school uh, Chelsea supporters basically sat there and, and moaned and pointed out everything that's wrong and then finishes off with, yeah, but we're going to win everything and we're going to win the Champions League this year. You know, it's just, that's classic, isn't it? I've, I've, had, I've, I've heard myself say exactly the same in a pub, usually after far too much Guinness, but that's the way I do it. Um, is, is that a fairly positive note to, 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 to look at things on, Nick? I think so. I mean, I think the, the Costa thing 
uh, needs to get figured out. And if you know he doesn't start doing something, uh, they need to go to a false nine and and play players with speed. So I think he's dead on. Yeah, it didn't, yeah, yeah. And I think I think he picked up he picks up on a few points that you made, didn't he, Liam? About uh, you know playing spurs on saturday maybe we do need to mix it up a bit and we need to be very mindful of the way that they'll flood midfield yeah absolutely and i think we you know we've already seen on the occasions when costa hasn't been there that hazard can do really well as a false nine in 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 this system i think that could be a good adjustment for the for, for the semi semi this weekend and going forward because at the moment they are carrying costa whatever the issue is whether it's physical mental or a combination of the two um, he's a passenger, and, and at this stage of the season, they can't afford to to carry anyone. Yeah, well, I mean, let's hope so, because uh, you know, the one of the biggest joys in my entire life, as I said earlier on, was seeing us stuff Spurs five-one in, in a in a massive semi. Hoo ha! Uh, and I'd like to see it again. And the, the, but the thought of losing to them is awful. I mean, I'll share. share I mean. You know it's bad. My boss is, is she's lovely, wonderful woman, and she's uh, she's a big Arsenal fan. I mean, she goes and stuff, you know. And she said, in the I walked into the office today, and she said, "What's what are you not playing at? What are you not playing at?" I mean, she's petrified that Spurs will will beat us because she she can't bear it almost as much as we can't bear it. And I said, "I know." We, she said, Don't you, "You're going to let them win the double. You can't let them do that." I said, "I know." I, I mean, I said they make a DVD if they beat us once in twenty years. Can you imagine how unbearable it will be? if they win something at our expense let's not talk about that anymore i've got something far more fun to talk about because um you know you know nick's on the show it's the first time he's been on the show and i think we should afford him the privilege of talking a little bit about london is blue uh but also nick um the fact that you guys are finally making it over to uh to stanford bridge aren't you uh, is correct yeah that's that's really what we're excited about uh we're coming over for the middlesbrough match uh we'll be over there the 4th of May through the 9th of May, and we are planning a pretty awesome little event uh, at the Atlas Pub with you, Chidge, and, and your and your boys on the show. Yeah. And we're just going to do a, a Chelsea roundtable and, and I think have our crew there, have your crew there. Maybe maybe Liam's going to be kind enough to join us and, uh, you know, Naz and, and the rest of, you know, kind of the, the core journalists that we all have on our shows and just do a, uh, a roundtable and a bunch of uh, Chelsea fans from America are coming over for that match it's a good weekend to do so and yeah i'm i'm just incredibly excited for that i'm almost more excited for that than the than the match itself chidge well i mean i i am too it'd be lovely to meet you guys and have a few beers and it sounds to me like you're going to be doing a bit of a show as well yeah yeah i think so we're gonna try and do a live show at some point i haven't nailed down all the details but yeah if you uh if you want to follow us we're at london blue pod on twitter on you know on facebook london is blue podcast and on instagram as well uh, our show usually comes out on the Monday after a match weekend, so you can follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all the uh, familiar podcast platforms. Yeah, he's, he's being wonderfully disingenuous and, and <laughs> humble, actually. And I don't mean disingenuous in that way, but you're not bigging yourself up. Number one, uh, it's really... I, I find the London's Blue Pod very interesting, obviously, because, you know, you do what we do, you know. But... Uh, they these guys there are there are some believe it or not there are some advantages to being in the states and not being over here 
which means that Nick and the boys, which is Brandon and, and Dan, can actually record a show pretty much the minute the game's finished. So, you know, they're doing it immediately after the game, which is what we used to do in the in the in the old days until we stopped because we were so pissed and angry usually. <laughs> <laughs> we were some basically if you want to listen to like the early versions of the Chelsea Fancast kind of circa episode thirty to fifty, then you'll understand why we stopped doing it right after the match. But you guys do, which I think is a which is a great thing to do. Um, but I, I'll be honest with you, you, you guys, you know, there's a massive difference to what you do on the show. I think that you go into more granular detail about things tactically and stuff, and, and, and it, it's a real pleasure to listen to, and it's a, it's a wonderful compliment to what we do on this show. And you don't get any silly knob gags, do you, really, yeah, we, on, on your we, show, we, Nick? Whereas, of course, me and, me and Jonathan specialize in we those. We need more of that. And I do just want to pass a, a compliment back to you guys. I mean, I'm a longtime listener of this show, and it's been a been a really cool experience to be on uh, on this show as well. And, you know, one of the reasons we started is listening to this show and, and the fan cast and the entire crew and the, the repertoire that you guys have between each other and then – the other, the other reason that I think we've become a little bit bigger in recent years because you know you and and Liam and and guys like that have been so kind as to come on. So I just want to pass that compliment back to you guys and and truly say thank you. No, oh, well, wow, that's really. I, I shall allow. I shall. I shall allow Liam to respond first. Actually, <laughs> no, it's absolutely. It was an absolute pleasure to appear on uh, London is Blue, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys in London. You're very good at what you do. Yeah, exactly. No, I echo that. And I mean, you know, the, the, the way I see it is, you see, I, I don't ever see any of these things as competition. I, you know, I, I would like to see an entire universe populated with Chelsea podcasts and no others. <laughs> then my, my world and my life would be complete. But I genuinely love you guys and I love what you do. And, I, and I'm so looking forward to, to meeting you guys in the, uh, in the Atlas pub on the uh, 6th of May. That's right. Well, no, 5th of May, no, isn't it? 6th. Yeah, and uh, then, uh, and then seeing... Saturday the 6th from 7 Saturday, to 9 yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, well, we'll help to publicise that out and I'll get some of my boys to come along as well. We'll have a few drinks and have a bit of a giggle, so that'll be great. Right, we are rapidly running out of time, so I should shut up and get on with getting oh, out. Uh, first of all... I'll send my butler. <laughs> well, you, you, you're you not going to come along? I normally, I normally send my butler. He knows. Just all right, well, Jonathan will send his butler. You have been warned, Nick. Right. Uh, what? First of all, thanks for the emails, everybody. Uh, we love receiving them. We always try and read them out on the show. Send them to chelseafancast at gmail.com before Monday, and they will be read out. Maybe not in the that, that week. We'll always save them like we did this week, but we will read them out because we love to hear what you guys say. Right. Um, sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget to download the Kerry Dixon Show on Thursday with Kerry. And uh, he and I will be giving you our reaction to the Man United match. And, of course, we'll be looking forward to the FA Cup semi-final against Spurs on Saturday. I will be back next Monday night together with Jonathan plus mystery guests. Uh, I say mystery guests because, one, I haven't looked at the schedule, and, two, I have a suspicion I haven't done it yet. But it, I, there will be two other people on the show, I promise you. Right, don't forget to follow the show on Twitter, at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, uh, Nick at Nick Valaney, and of course uh, at London is Blue. Isn't that right, Nick? That is correct, at London Blue Pod on Twitter. Yep. 
London Blue Pod, sorry, at London Blue Pod on Twitter. And of course, the lovely, wonderful Liam at Liam underscore Toomey, which is T W O M E Y. And of course, check out the website, ChelseaFanCast.com. And of course, many thanks to the Chelsea Fancast bloggers. Keep them coming. Right. Uh, first of all, uh, Nick, it's been fabulous having on, you on the show, as we've just said. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. You know that. Wonderful. I will, I will take another half day at work anytime you want me. Wow, that's dedication. Nick has taken a half day off work just to be on the show. Blimey, that's I'm, I'm humbled by that. Uh, Liam, um, fantastic as always to hear your insight on the show. We really love having you on the show. And you, of course, always welcome back anytime. Great to have you on, mate. Great to be on. It's always a pleasure coming on. Lovely stuff. And by uh, no means uh, last and uh, by no means least, the lovely Jonathan Kidd. As always, great to have you by my oh, side, Jonathan. Thank you, Chidge. How lovely. There we go. You are the you are you are you are you are the Frank Lampard to my John Terry. Am I mate. the HP sauce on your chips? Yes, <laughs> something like that. You are the mayonnaise to my prawn sandwich. I don't know. We could go on like this all night, but sadly we can't because we've got to go because we're out of time, people. So uh, brilliant to have you all with us. Uh, many thanks to my guests this week. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chels. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.